0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode 42 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your regular host, Kimbui Bomani. We got a linear stuff to talk about today. I'm glad to be back on the air doing it after a week-long hiatus. We've got the trade deadline, the NBA. We got NFL topics such as the Super Bowl, which is a few days away. we gonna talk about the Pro Bowl, how they can make that potentially better, even the head coaching vacancies in the league. But I got a new guest on today, um, Ron for the MNR show. Uh, he kind of reached yes, out sir. to me. Yeah, I'm glad to have him on. Um, how I was really able to make this collab happen was he responded to one of my stories. And I've been kind of checking out his platform for a little bit. And it's a solid one that he has with him and his co-host, Malcolm. They talk about NFL and NBA topics. And I was able to get one half of that show on. Um, he's a Columbia grad student. Hey, I've been there before with the graduate student thing, just graduated from Syracuse. We've both been in that journalism school field. So before we dive into the topics, Ron, man, how you doing? How you been? Um What's been going on in your life so far? What you really excited to talk about on this pod?
1: Uh, Well, again, you know, thanks. Definitely glad to be on the pod. Uh, yeah, again, from the MR show. Uh, show. I mean, life, you know, life is good. I mean, you know, journalism, grad school, Columbia is, Ivy League has been, you know, it's been a lot. I'm doing something every week with my workload. That's been keeping me busy. It's really just like school, podcasts, and we'll see what comes after that, so. So I think I've been, my head has been on straight, but I'm, I don't know. I'm excited to talk about the NFL playoffs on the NFL line. Both of those I'm excited to talk about.
0: Yeah, man. You heard the man, Ronald Harold Jr. Hey man, I've been a part of that graduate school, Mayhem, you know, a few months ago. I finished out at Syracuse and it's different stuff every day, but it's always a good program. It was a unique perspective for me, a unique opportunity coming from Jackson State to Syracuse. And then we're doing a virtual thing. So it's a grind, yeah. but it's worth it. Able to get connects, I got to like see tons of people. Like i Eagle stepped into our class and was like talking to us, so that was dope. So you know, it's all gonna be worth it in the end. So I mean, hope you enjoying it. It's a process and a grind, but it's gonna be worth it doing the long run for sure. All right, let's dive into the topics ASAP. I mean, we got a lot to talk about today, and it's it's gonna be a good one. We're we'll gonna touch base on the Super Bowl. Uh, it's a few days away. Um, Cincinnati Bengals were able to upset the Kansas City Chiefs. Rams were able to get their first win against the Niners in about six tries. And so this is the Super Bowl that we have right now that's a couple of days away. Um, and really want to talk about in a game like this, the X factors. We all know that the superstars, Joe Burrow for the Bengals, Aaron Donald for the Rams, Matt Stafford to a degree for the Rams as well, Jamar Chase to a degree for the Bengals. We all know they're going to make plays. I mean, because when you have a star players in your team like those guys, you go through them to make excellence happen. But I want to touch base on the X factors and touching base on Cincinnati. This is an offensive line that has struggled throughout the playoffs to give them nine sacks against Tennessee. They only give up one sack against Kansas city, but they did allow 16 total pressures. They did allow 13 hurries. I remember at the top of my brain, Chris Jones had two sacks for sure that he just wasn't able to bring to the ground because, you know, Joe Burrow, so elusive and whatnot. And coming down the pipeline, you got Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, I feel like the X factor for the LA Rams side is their defensive line as a whole, not just Donald, but Von Miller and Leonard Floyd. Um, how do you feel they can be impactful in this football game? And what do you think it will take for the Bengals to neutralize the collective front of Los Angeles?
1: Um, well, I had Von Miller as one of my X factors as well. I think he's very key. Uh, just watched him last week, his bend was insane. Like I'm like, yo, at this age, he's not supposed to be this good at this age. Like he's just, that wasn't the plan. Like everyone knew, he was still elite, but like to be playing like he's been playing the last this whole playoff. Uh, all the matchups have been it's really good. I think the Rams actually have really had the best defense in the playoffs so far. Period. Um, I'm excited to see what Ramsey can do as well with the pass fresh, then with the pass coverage. Uh, it's going to be hard though for the Bengals to be able to stop this team. It's going to have to be the quick passing game, and that's not what they do. Like I mean, against the Blitz, Burrow has historically been throwing the ball shorter than most quarterbacks against the blitz but it seems like the rams might not even have to blitz to get pressure in this game they might can drop seven so it, it's, it's going to be real interesting i can't wait to see what they do against, Don, uh, against aaron donald he literally was i think his quote is like yeah like i've been waiting for this moment andrew woodworth's like yeah if, if, if we win this like i'll probably retire this is all i need the rams just are so all in and I, i'm not saying the Bengals aren't it's clearly you can't make the super by being all in but it's like they're still playing on house money they're still so young, the Rams kind of like they have to win this so much more. So I thought they'll, and they have a lot of veterans. You have Odell on the side. We're talking about the D line right now. I think that, that D line is going to be hungry. And then you still got like Leonard Floyd, somebody that was rode off. Terrell Lewis from Alabama, somebody that was rode off. Like you have guys that are hungry on the Rams D line. And I love Burrow, but hopefully he comes out this game upright.
0: Yeah, look, the Cincinnati O line is a problem. They survived it against Tennessee. Uh, Like I stated before, Chris Jones had two sacks in his grasp he wasn't able to bring down. So that kind of made Cincinnati's pass blocking grade look a lot better than it was. But I'm listening to these names. You know about Aaron Donald, 87.0 pass rush grade throughout the playoffs, 10 hurries, four hits, two sacks. Von Miller, who we can kind of, I for sure. When they got Von Miller thought, his best days were behind him. But I did acknowledge being alongside Aaron Donald helps a lot. It's helped Leonard Florida a ton um, since he went from Chicago to the Rams. And so during his playoff run, 90.5 pass was great. Two sacks, 13 hurries during the postseason. And so this D-line as a collective is a problem. And I think, like you stated, a quick passing game is going to be the way for Cincinnati. And they had a lot of empty possessions, I felt like, against Kansas City that – uh, could have been a lot worse if the Chiefs had the front that the Rams have. And like you said it before, kind of round it all up for the Los Angeles, they built this team to get to this moment. Um, they were in the playoffs a few years ago, and they didn't show up. Well, offensively, they didn't show up at all, which is why they lost to New England. Now they're back again to get the Cincinnati team that might be playing a little bit over their pay grade. I mean, they got here for a reason. Some breaks went their way. They did play excellent down the stretch. But this is why the Rams got Stafford. This is why they got Jalen. This is why they got Beckham. They're all loaded from front to center at the skill positions and within the D-line. And I think we can both acknowledge this was the worst possible matchup for the Bengals. Having a team like the yeah. Rams who have the skill position out wide with multiple receivers and cup and Beckham to test their corners, to test their secondaries. And I'm going to get to that because I feel like the secondaries like the Bengals X-Factor on their side. And then you have the interior rush of Donald. You have the edge presence of Floyd and Von Miller. And I've always stated the weakest link of the Bengals offensive line is the right side. And if you're able to have a guy like Avon Miller lined up against whoever is on that right side and then you know what Donald can do against anybody, it's going to be a tough, long day. And so I feel like for the Rams it's the D-line as a collective. I know a lot of people have been enamored by the Jamar Chase, Jalen Ramsey matchup, and that's going to somewhat matter. But if you yeah. can't block the trenches, it doesn't matter who's covering who or who's catching what. You're just not going to have enough time to make the pass plays um cincinnati's x-factors i think it's their safety play the duo of jesse bates and von bell um jesse bates really throughout the season his pff grade was disappointing um he had a 53.4 coverage grade during the regular season yeah and that was a huge drop off because last year he was the number one safety in pff ranking system and he had such a phenomenal year to where when he got franchise tagged a lot of people thought he could replicate the season he had the year prior to secure a massive pay grade this off season didn't happen, but he showed up in the postseason. 88.6 pass coverage grade during the playoffs. He's allowed three catches on eight targets, three forced in completions and interception. He had the amazing pass breakup that allowed Von Bell to get the pick on a deep shot to Tyree Killing overtime, because honestly using great position The throw wasn't bad by Patrick Mahomes. If base wasn't there to be in play to make a play on the football, we might have a whole different conversation. And then Von Bell, the former state two defensive stops and a pick, during a 70.7 postseason coverage grade as well so their safety play has been phenomenal I thought the Rams utilize San Francisco suspect safety play and coverage to their advantage well, to be able to stop their passing game cup and Beckham can take the top off the defense how important do you think Bates and Bell are as the last line of defense to kind of make up for a cornerback play that's been Decent, but in a grand scheme of things, has been playing a little bit above the parade Gary, and at times can be underwhelming and pass
1: defense. Yeah, because with Bates, he's one of like one of the last like deep safeties, right? Like they run a lot of deep safety. So he has a he has a, a tough role back that he has to fill. I think that's why you probably saw a big drop in his coverage grade, because there he's asked to do a lot. And it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I do like both of their safeties. I just don't know what their and you know what's gonna help them too is that Higby's out. I know he was. I would know he wasn't gonna play until today. He got to put on IR. So the Titan is not a matchup they'll probably have to worry about. But Odell, he's been really good. Like just having a deep threat, it just show, like that's just such an important piece to an offense. And he just he's been taking the top off. And that's been I think that's been Cup was gonna eat regardless. But now you have someone where he's getting a little bit more space to work in the middle. It's going to be hard for those safeties to be able to contain those two guys. Um, I mean, you know, as a, you know, as our resident Dallas Cowboys fan right now on this podcast, Chidobio um, really good regular season. We all knew he had it in him. Um, you saw the flashes in the postseason. His great. It has dropped like, I think, 40 points. It's a really big drop. It scares me That that I'm not going to lie. It scares me. And he's he's always been a grabber and doesn't have to turn his head around. And against this type of matchup, that's scary. Mike Hilton was getting the slide in the regular season. But once again, he's had a over 20-point drop in the postseason. So it's just like the Bengals just they're just getting it done. They haven't even necessarily had like an A game, they just get the win. Like it's just that's the that's why it's, that's the hard thing about the matchup is that some of the players haven't even played an A level, but they just like make the play at the right time. You got in there with Bates. Like, they're just making them play at the right time. But I think overall, the Rams are going to have to separate early. I don't want to keep this Bengals team around. And I think that they're going to go after the corners, though. At least that's what I would do if I was in the back. That's huge. I mean, you say
0: you have to separate against Cincinnati every playoff game. Well, with the exception of the Raiders game, because they were kind of A-A most of the time. But against Tennessee and against Kansas City, They always hung around, especially when it felt like Tennessee and Kansas City had a chance to pull away. They were always in the peripheral vision, and that allowed Burrow and the offense to slowly but surely grind it out by running the ball, riding with T. Higgins. The cornerback situation is is a great point you brought up. Look, I think um, Hughes is their best corner. The problem is he plays in the slot. And you just talked about how in the slot his greatest would down expeditiously mainly because he's been in matchups where sometimes he's on the outside. Sometimes he has to pick up guys on crosses and whatnot. His responsibility is being elevated as well. I like a Ouzier, woozy, but a biggest problem is as you just stated it. He doesn't play the ball yeah. particularly well. And Eli Apple has just come out and said that he wants to guard Odell Beckham because he knows OBJ from New York and that's fine. But my problem with Eli Apple is also, he doesn't play the ball at times and it's a confidence thing with him. At times, he has all the intangibles and the ability to be a solid corner in his league, but he kind of gets down on himself and whatnot as well. What helped the Bengals against Kansas City? They dropped eight in coverage in the second half and were basically like, we don't believe Kansas City's going to run the football against our three-man front. And they did. Why didn't they? I don't know. We'll never know. The Rams will. Sean McVay has slowly but surely Involve the running game within this team's offense again under Matthew Stafford it's taken a lot of pressure off of Stafford now Stafford has made big time plays against Tampa Bay and against the Niners for this team to get where they are but Cincinnati's not going to have the luxury to just drop eight in the box and feel like they can win that way the Rams will run against that defensive look so I honestly feel like it's going to come down to the safeties because their corners are very suspect they're playing against rock runners like Beckham um club and even jefferson that can put you on your heels with their ability to get in and out of their breaks and so now those safeties at the last line of defense especially jesse bates are gonna have to make up for the miscues and if bates could come away with another great performance and help this team win like he's been able to do during his postseason that elevates his stock even more in the offseason and Cha-ching. you know, ka-ching, <laughs> and the money and the money's gonna come rolling in and we know the skinny about the Bengals; they're cheap and it's worked out for them so far. Like, they've been able to get Hendrickson, Alouzi, Eli Apple on cheap deals and draft high up and make no, make no mistake with the selections like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. It's helped. But when you have this type of success and guys play well, you tend to lose guys. And you're going to have to make up for it for that way. And before we move on from this topic, Cincinnati's had a dream season. But I heard on your m show, you feel like this is Cincinnati's best chance. And whether win or lose, um, they're going to have some big decisions to make. And Carson Palmer made a statement uh, that kind of went viral where he was like, Joe Burrow, eventually when the season is over, is going to gauge how invested Cincinnati's ownership is going to be in terms of continuing to make this team a title contender. Um, Do you have trust, faith, and do you believe that Cincinnati has something going that can continue into being a consistent AFC contender? Or do you feel like it potentially could be just a flash in the pan.
1: Uh, a little, I'm kind of cheating. There's a little bit of both. Like I think Burrow's going to be good regardless. Just like Carson Pone when he played, Carson was, was amazing when he played. But it's like, uh, again, I don't trust Mike. I think Mike Brown's the owner. I don't trust the owner. He, he's, he's trying to be Jerry Jones. And Jerry hasn't done good at that role either. And he's a worse version of that. Like he's a cheap version of Jerry Jones. Think about how that sounds to everyone listening, a cheap version of Jerry Jones. I don't want any parts of that. So it's just like, oh, man, like, like you you made a great point. Like they got Hendrickson on a great deal. woozy on a great deal. And they're playing, t- to me, a little bit better, like you said, than they actually even are. To replicate that, we know how hard it is to replicate defense, period. It's it's, it's going to be tough for this team. Joe Mixon, he's, he's almost reaching the 400 touch mark. We know what that means. We've seen Derrick Henry. We've seen McCaffrey. Next season, will he be able to survive the next season? And they went to the playoffs, and we all know they add an extra game. This is really, I think, going to be the Bengals' chance. He might, I said on the MR show, this might be a Marino type year. I hope it doesn't. Marino went one time. People fall for that. It wasn't all Marino's fault. It's like, were the Dolphins as invested in Marino as they could have been, like an Aikman? They weren't. The same might be for Burrow. Mah- They're going to invest in Mahomes. Are they going to invest in Burrow? Like, so it's going to be, I don't think they will. Like I think Jamar Chase will be there, just like Ocho Cinco was always there for Palmer. But the other pieces are going to be so volatile, and the timeline of the team is similar. So I think the O line does get better next year, but I think the defense is going to take a drop. And the, with the Jesse Bates, when I'm not sold, they'll retain him. I'm not sold. Like it's just, there's no reason to be sold until we see it. So I I think this I think this could be a Dan Marino type year for Joe Burrow, and I hate to say that because I'm a fan of Joe Burrow, but yeah, I think I things could be a damn real type of year.
0: Yeah, here's here's the unique situation about Cincinnati. We've seen Buffalo and Kansas City the past three years be invested in what they have on their squad. They realize Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, they're legit. We're committed. This is unique territory for the Bengals. Now, when they drafted Joe Burrow first overall, I didn't really appreciate guys coming out here being like, Oh my gosh, Cincinnati's gonna take Burrow borough should demand to get traded cincinnati's yeah. trash i'm like they haven't been that trash i mean they were in the playoffs like a couple years ago the yeah. issue with the Bengals at that time was they were in the playoffs and then marvin lewis couldn't win a playoff game against some very weak competition ding 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 losing to the chargers at home i don't i on pittsburgh yeah. we, the story goes on and on however yeah. what we can't ignore is the browns are very cheap paul brown who owns the Bengals, him and his son are cheap and The cheapness has been evident in the transactions that they've made. I kind of had this conversation with somebody online um, because when Palmer made his statement, a lot of Bengals fans got sensitive and were like, man, Palmer, you didn't do anything. Burroughs outdid your whole career in like two years. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. But Palmer's not lying because he knows the guys up top running the Bengals, they haven't went anywhere. They're still there. And it's like we said, the deals that they've made, they didn't pay Carl Lawson. Instead, they overpaid for Trey Hendrickson. It worked because Hendrickson has been phenomenal the past two seasons. For now, I'll it worked. It for was. now, it worked. For now, they didn't pay William Jackson. Instead, they took a cheap deal with Adobie Ousie, and we're starting to see it now with Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates should have been extended last off season. They said no, we're not going to make the payment. We're going to dare him. We're going to dare to see if he does it again on his contract year franchise tag. And to be honest, he didn't in the regular season, but he's balled out in the playoffs, so that can come back to bite him. We know regardless what happens in the Super Bowl, they're going to pay Joe Burrow. They should. They're going to extend him. I think they're going to extend him this offseason. We know Jamar Chase isn't going anywhere. He's locked in. But T. Higgins is probably going to man some bread down the line because I think as long as he is alongside Jamar Chase, he's going to have a chance to get a 1,000-yard seasons. When he comes up, I don't think they're going to be able to keep him. I don't think they're going to be able to keep Jesse Bates. So now what it comes down to is, and I know this as a Saints fan, to have consecutive years of playoff success, you got to hit it in the draft. You do. And I looked at Cincinnati's draft history for the most part when they're not picking like top overall in the first round where it's a no brainer, like number one overall, you got to take Burrow. Number three overall, it's either Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase. You can't go wrong with either one when they have to pick in the middle. It hits a little different. Jonah Williams. I liked the lot. He got picked 10th overall a few years ago. The problem is he can't stay healthy. So his impact is a little bit up and down. They took a chance on a Drew Sample in the second or third round. It doesn't hit the same. And so now Cincinnati, they're not going to have the luxury to be picking in the top five anymore. They're a good team. I think they're going to be a team that's consistently going to win eight to ten games. So when you're picking in the middle of drafts now, you got to scout a little harder. You got to take some chances and they got to pay off because if they don't, you will pay for it long term. And we all agree um, with the cap space that they have now this offseason. They're going to get somebody for the offensive line. Wouldn't be surprised if they throw a bag at a Toronto Armstead. But eventually in the draft, you got to make it work. And they got a big decision with Jesse Bates. I feel like if they lose Bates, that's going to hurt the defense. And we already think the defense is going to take a step back next year. Not having your best secondary player is going to be a reason why. And then the big thing we all have to consider is, do I think Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the AFC North? I do. But Baltimore, when healthy, I think is a better team. Cleveland, when healthy, we got to see what Baker Mayfield does they're going to be a challenger. They swept the Bengals yeah. when they were like a shell of themselves all year and not really selling on Pittsburgh again until they figure out the quarterback situation. But if they do, that's a team you got to worry about. So with Cincinnati, I agree. This is their best chance. I think win or lose, take advantage of it. But to just automatically like put Palmer's thought process to the side, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a hater. The Browns still on your team. And as long as they go your team, they're going to be cheap. That hasn't been a lot. We've seen the transactions that they made, and it's fine to be cheap when it works out, when cats overachieve. But with a lot of contracts like this, cats overachieve for like a year or two, and then the back half of that contract, they regress to their means. So what if Trey Henderson goes from 15 sacks to seven? All right. What if um Ouzia goes from that high 80 plus PFF grade? So he's like 60, you know, and now all of a sudden Eli Apple goes from, what he's normally been in his career. Now the defense is in the same and Joe Burrow has to carry your team. And so it hits a little different. So that's a big thing for Cincinnati. And um, what's your thought process on all that?
1: Yeah, they're going to, they're going to have to get right in the draft. Like, and I don't, again, they're cheap. They're historically one of the friends that's also that's known not to pay scouts, Like they, they were one, they had the least amount of scouts. That's what Palmer's also referring to. Cause again, the owner is also the GM. So he's not paying him any scouts either. So that's why they're not hitting as much in the later rounds. It's, it's going to be interesting, and a lot of Cincinnati's like old picks, were like kind of Marvin Lewis guys, like Burfitt hitting, like no one's like no one was taking that risk. That's just Marvin Lewis. So it's like they're not going. To, you can't rely on him trying to hit on those type of players again. I do think again, a lot of those players are going to regress back. I just think a Woozy, I like, a lot. I don't think he's an 80 esque PFF great corner. I just don't. I think he's maybe at his max, really, like a 72. So, like, he's still in the green, but like, he's, he's probably really a CB2. And that's the, that's the screwball right now. He's your CB1. So, I think they're going to go historically cheap. But this year, the offensive tackle class is pretty, is looking pretty good. I've been doing a lot of mock drafts and, the minnesota tackle keeps falling to like pick 30 pick 31 there's a decent amount of tackles i think they take one if they're smart at least at pick 31 or guard this, this is a deep guard drive they need, they need help really anyone in the open slot you can get a guard Zion johnson one a tackle you'll be able to get someone at the pick hopefully they pick the right pick now as someone that thought they should have taken sue over chase last year which i i've been killed about all year I still think they have to invest in that and still in the offensive line. You, you can't just go two years not investing. And that goes back to our Super Bowl point about with the pass rush. We saw what happened last year with Mahomes. Mahomes is, to me, one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. And he's even more elusive than Burrow. He couldn't escape Shaq Burrow and JPP. And they're now on the level of even a vomit and Aaron Donald. So if this happens again in a Super Bowl where a team is basically getting Molly Watt, because their offensive line is bad. I think that's going to change the trajectory of the NFL. Period. Because if two back-to-back years, like Joe Burrow, to me has had the best season of any quarterback this year. So two quarterbacks that have had the best years go to the Super Bowl and don't win because of the O line. The NFL philosophy on O line then changes even harder. It went to see O line O line play being even valued even higher. So that's my somewhat of a hot take this year if they do get if the if the Rams get like five sacks and they win the game which I think they will O-line is going to be overdrafted this year in draft like every GM and owner is like oh no they can't have them my quarterback and like before it's too late too so it's just like I think the O-line is going to be it's just very key for this team and the That's linebacker a- group too we haven't even talked about the linebackers but the linebacker, that's that's a hard reason to kind of draft anyway, right now. So I just rather stay away. But overall, the O line and the linebackers
0: Rob, a great point with the O line. That would be two years in a row where a star studded quarterback from the ASC crumbles because their offensive line can't hold up. And we saw Kansas City the next year, they went out and resolved it. Is Brown gonna do the same for Cincy? Wow. I don't think so because he's cheap. So it's they look, they took a chance on chase well i don't want to say took a chance but they were like look we're gonna take chase over so it's worked out but then they took jackson karma in the second round and he's not a tackle he's probably not going to be a consistent guard at the next level so you're gonna pay for it eventually and hopefully i think the worst thing that can happen for cincinnati and they're that cheap where i think they could think like this let's say they i'm not gonna say they win let's say they lose but they lose by like five and the offensive line kind of did what it did against Kansas City, where they give up a sack, but Burrow isn't terrorized for the most part. I don't want the Bengals front office to go into offseason to be like, you know what? All we need to do is add one more lineman and we're good. Like, I no. yeah. I, I think the right. Don't do that. I think the best thing that can happen for the Bengals is it's clear early that their offensive line can't hang. And then they resolve that in the offseason. That's really their missing link. And you can build. Dude, you can build your line through the draft. I just need the franchise to prioritize it. And you just made a statement about NLP scouts. That can explain why, since Marvin Lewis has left, their draft selections have been eh. They've been very mid because at least, listen, Lewis's problem was he couldn't coach his team to playoff success. But he had no problem getting the talent in. Perfect. Green. Marvin Jones. Muhammad Sanu. Jeremy Hill. Carlos yeah. Dunlap. Gino Acker. The talent was there. Uh, with, the, with the Bengals, eh, it's hard to say. But we're going to move on to the Pro Bowl. Um, the Pro Bowl last weekend, it was a tough watch. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was bad. But what I did not appreciate was, for starters, early on in the first drive, I'm like, yo, they're not tackling? Like, they're not tackling at all? Like, what is this? And then when the <laughs> game was over, the players came out, Darius Slay, um, and then I saw Matt Judon um, today, came out, I'm like, looks, man, it was planned. It was preordained. We were, like, not going to go super hard on each other because we don't want to get hurt in a meaningless game. Although Max Crosby and um, Micah Parsons did try, and it was pretty evident, and they were making some plays, so that's good to see. So um, the old heads, Deion Sanders, Shannon Sharp, they frowned upon a point of lack of effort. Deion was like, "Yo, Pro Bowl used to be an honor to where I would challenge myself against the best in the game to see." are you really like that or not? Shannon Sharp was like, "Look, I, I can't watch this. This is this is this is unbelievable." So, how would you, Omron? How do you feel about the game? And do you feel the injury perspective, um, which is the reason why the players took it yes. completely easy for four quarters? Do you think that's valid? Because, you know, after your statement, I'm going to go in-depth to mine. I had to do some research on it, and I think it's a little bit overblown.
1: But do you think both perspectives are fair and where can the Pro Bowl go from here? Uh, It's the Pro Bowl is kind of like as a from a fan perspective. Terrible. Like, you, that's just not what you want to see. To make it better, they might just have to scrap the NFC, AFC thing, like, completely, like, again, and just, like, maybe do like an NFL type of thing. Only thing with that is too many players. Like, that's just too long. Who want, I'm not sitting through the old line men getting dry. Like, come on. So that's kind of scary. But I think really the reason the Pro Bowl has been so bad is just like the individualistic mindset of players, which I am not mad at because I, I value my, my own life as well. Like I value, like everything I do is for the betterment of Ronald. So I guess when let's say, I think who was out there, Mac Jones, he's young. So he's don't really care. He's like, "Ah, I haven't got paid yet. He has no family. He has nothing, you know, he has nothing. He's just chilling. He's having fun. But then you put like a veteran out there, maybe like if Patrick Peterson someone like that would have made it like 33, like this, maybe his last rodeo. He's really just out there just for the heat, like the vibe. And I can't like I can't be mad at him for doing that because it's like he can't risk losing any more time. He can't risk injury. Like injury is we, we we don't kill players anymore for sitting out of bowl games in college. And that literally can help your draft stock rise. You play good in the Pro Bowl. That does nothing for your career, like nothing. I think like literally nothing for your career. And right now, unlike the NBA All-Star Game, the Pro Bowl isn't even really a recruiting ground. Like who's like changing team because oh, I mean, I saw him at the Pro Bowl. Like no one's doing that. So you can't even use it for that aspect. So it's like so if the Pro Bowl needs like a – it's even, it's going to be even more of a shakeup than what the NBA did with the All-Star game because at least also also game, the players are going there. Like the players, Dak is like, yeah, I don't even want to come. Like Dak, I mean, I you know, I love Dak. You know, I say good season. But like if people like Dak, he's like on the lower tier of top ten – are saying yeah no this like why would any like top four quarterback or top five quarterback go how do you do? my question is how do you even get the good players to go to the pro bowl
0: that is that in my opinion is the reason why it hasn't been good the past few years the good players don't want to go and i feel like the main reason why they don't want to go is because the pro bowl is before the super bowl when it was after the super bowl there was more of an incentive to go because it's like okay, the season's over, the bowl's over. Uh, I don't have to like play and then know in the back of my mind, bro, the Super Bowl like next week, I ain't there. The season over, so you're like, all right, we all out here playing, da 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 da. Let's go for there. My issue with the injury perspective is two things. One, it's hard to say that when your job is football. So I, I would agree with your sentiment if. You didn't play football. Like if it was like, listen, I don't want. I have a choice between football or basketball. I'm gonna do basketball because I don't want to worry about a concussion. Darius Slay was like, I don't want to get hurt because you know I got this amount of time to like prepare in the off season, But it's like, dog, you you play football for 17 games, and let's be honest, in a contact sport, it is hard to avoid injury. Like we've seen so many injuries in the NFL that have been non-contact. Like you you go for a route, and I can make a case that. Being carefree with it incentivizes the chance that you do get hurt. Because if you're not focused and you don't have your head on a swivel in the NFL and a contact sport like American football, you can't wind up and get injured. So the injury history, because some guys on the internet, they're trying to be like, yo, like players don't want to play because they don't want to get hurt. And somebody brought up three guys. So ironically enough, a lot of fans have been pitching flag football. That's like, you know, if they don't, don't want to do yeah, a contact thing, let's do flag football where... Uh, We have a flag football draft, offensive lineman, get the lineup on some seven-on-seven type stuff, catch passes, whatnot. However, I I researched there were like three injuries during the Pro Bowl. So there was a guy named Robert Edwards. He played for the New England Patriots in 1999. Um, He was coming off a rookie year where he had over 1,500 yards rushing and 13 scores of the 346 carries. He wasn't invited to the Pro Bowl, which is wild. I mean, look at those numbers. But he participated in the Rookie Beach Bowl, which is basically flag football on sand um he went up for a pass during the event he didn't catch it but he landed on the ground awkwardly towards ACL MCL and PCO in a flag football game he was never the same and he was coming out a phenomenal rookie year where he was in the same running back class as Curtis Martin so that kind of proves my point like uh he was in a flag football situation that we advocated for and he wound up and messed up his whole leg on a non-contact entry where he's just going up for a football. But my biggest thing is the narrative on Pro Bowl injuries. It's overblown. Somebody brought up Tyler Eifert. They're like, whoa, yo, Tyler Eifert got hurt because in 2015, Jameis Winston overthrew him. He went up for the ball, couldn't catch it, landed down awkwardly on his leg. I was like, yeah, that did happen. But before that, Eifert had like two big-time injuries. At that point, Eifert was injury-prone. So it's hard to be like, yo, look at injuries where the guy that got hurt, injury-prone, even in that situation, he didn't get hurt off of like a a hit to his legs. He got hurt on a non-contact injury. So I think NFL players could find a way to tackle guys without hurting them in the Pro Bowl. I think they're wise enough to like not go super hard, but it's football where you don't see tackling in any type of football. It's like, what are we doing? And I think one of the ways the NFL could change it, and I put it on my story, is four things. I think one, you got to move it back to after the Super Bowl. That would allow, I think, your best talents to want to play. The, the season's over, and I think with the season over, that being the last game, I think guys might more guys might get up for it. I think another thing is maybe incentivize playing in the game because I think a lot of guys, they get the Pro Bowl berth, and that's where the bonus is. Like, you get the berth, there's your bonus. But if there's an extra bonus, like, yo, if you're a Pro Bowl starter and you show up and play the game, you get, like, an extra 500K. That'll make Kat show up. Um, the replacements have to go down because I feel like 15 guys get replaced. So I think you have five replacements for the AFC, five replacements for the NFC. And it's like, all right, whoever submits that, they're not going to play. First five to submit that, they're not going to play. All right, we'll replace you five. First five on the other side, them five, boom. That's another thing. And then last but not least, like you said, bring the draft back. It was actually a draft for about four years. And I think that's where the best aspect of Pro Bowl football happened during the last decade. It wasn't AFC, NFC yet. Um, Hall of Famers selecting their teams. I think that's when you got the best out of everybody. I think keeping it the AFC, NFC way, it's kind of like, uh, I kind of know you. uh, It's not the same, but two teammates going against each other, it might bring out the best for sure. And then last but not least, if they're not going to play contact, then we got to introduce flat. I think what the guys need to focus on in the offseason, the NFL, not the overtime rules. How can we make the Pro Bowl watchable? Because the Pro Bowl is not going anywhere. I know a lot of people were like, Eliminated uh-uh. TV deals are too attached. ESPN, NFL, and the players they make too much money with the Pro Bowl, even though they have acid, they get money bonuses for being selected. So it's not going nowhere. So I think the commissioner and stuff they need to tell the referees, Look, man, we can't have cats not tackle next year. They don't have to tackle if they don't tackle, uh, they're gonna pay in some aspect, maybe penalty for not trying. I don't know. We got to have some aspect of talent tackling because tackling. It's like half of the effort, <laughs> half of the effort situation in football. But if you're not going to tackle flag football, I think do a draft there and then open it up. But the Pro Bowls, too. Look, man, it's, this is the one time where the old heads, I'll give them credit. Like <laughs> the last four years, it's been bad to watch. But when I was looking at old Pro Bowl games from like 2009, 10, 11, 12, they were really going after each other. And the product looked a lot better. And the games were a lot closer. I mean, this game was close, but it was close because the receivers weren't trying, which really made the interception totals go up. That's why all the quarterbacks threw picks because the receivers are half running a route and the quarterbacks throwing it one way thinking he's going to break here and then the ball goes the other way and it's a pick. So I think that's what you do there. Um, I do think in the end, the Pro Bowl injury thing is a little bit overblown because like I said, I documented two guys that got hurt during the festivities. One during flag football, he wasn't even a part of the game. The other was a guy who has an injury riddle history. So this narrative by the players, which is I don't want to get hurt in a meaningless game. The game matters because you get paid for being selected. So miss me with that meaningless. And not a lot of guys have been hurt from the game prior. Anyway, I think you guys know how to tackle and come at each other from a physical <laughs> sense without hurting yeah. each other. Like, like I,
1: I'm pretty sure I don't yeah. see
0: anybody diving from nobody needs in that selection. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I like the draft and possibly the flag thing i'm trying to think how the flag could be fun because it'd be high scoring and it'd be more skilled players based and realistically a pro bowl is probably a skilled player type of event anyway if i'm being honest because like i don't want to see like a fullback on the field and running the ball in the pro bowl I don't know. It's like NBA. Also, you wouldn't see threes in the NBA All Star game or dunks. Like, I'm not trying to see too many mid range shots. Like it's like, all right, bro, or well, layups. I'm trying to see the the fun the the fun aspect whole time. So that's why I think the flag is good because it brings out all of the fun, none of the like gritty things, and that takes away, I guess, from the players claiming the injury, even though like you you already witness that's a fake narrative. But regardless, a narrative is clearly we see how powerful a narrative is i mean so like it's a change so it's like okay we have to kind of use their own narrative against them and just make them play the flag even though like you said they could get hurt if not more in flag than in the contact sport so it's just like but it has to like happen first i guess for them to believe it um plus i think i don't know we saw with trayvon diggs like and you know and his brother stefan that was like a fun little portion of the pro bowl and that'd be cool if if it was something like that but it was like they were like rivals like i mean they're they're rivals in the game but and they kind of got lucky that they're both in different conferences but if that was like a like a fantasy draft like on madden or something like that then it'd be cool and like i can say i like when michael Irvin did his team like, of course okay we like, like all right michael Irvin, he gonna he gotta get the cowboys but he gotta get some of them oh Dion on the other side who's he gonna get played for six teams like so that was a fun aspect. And I think it'd be a cool way, too, to have, like, a real coach, you know, whoever's the best coach in each conference, and then, like, a fun Hall of Fame player. It might, be even, it might be fun to bring in the year prior, like, one of those Hall of Fame players that can still, like, do that job. Like, this year, it should have been DeMarcus Ware would be doing it next year. But regardless of that, it'd be cool to see, like, okay, you're, you're bringing back a former Hall of Fame player you're having a, a current head coach and they're using like new and old tactics to draft the team and still a flag game. So it's still like, OK, like I'm Tyreek Hills is my first pick because in flag football, he's your 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 archetype. Like, and then, OK, like I'm a good, you know, maybe Mike Evans, he's tall and can run. So this is like it'd be it'd be fun because it's a different game. But everyone's played flag. Everyone's played two and touch. So it's not a game you'd even really have to explain either like it, it would be like if the NFL was like we're going we're gonna to do flag the rule like no one would like care about the rules like I mean you would the rules are pretty self-explanatory and I'm pretty sure they would just take with the actors the actual flag league, so they would just probably mimic their rules so I think it really could be done pretty easily to be honest they just got to get a little bit more creative and try to bring in some of the old players on the field like I would love to see Deion Sanders on the field uh, like we said, Michael Irvin, uh, even Aikman or Elway or any of those players on the field. That first step does bring the old heads back watching just because they're there or bring Shannon Sharp. You have a TV personality on the sideline that has a podcast and he works for one of the biggest sports networks. And he knows football. You bring him on the sideline, people are going to watch to see Shannon be what he is going to be. Like people were watching freaking Drewski last week on the sideline. Love Drewski, but this is your call to fame in the NFL. Like, this is all you had. This is – he was the best part of the Pro Bowl. Like, he's hilarious. So, it's like you need someone that's bringing energy. So, that's why we want energy and speed. That's what's going to bring it back for me. And hey, you brought up a good point. Like,
0: if you include the old heads to the Pro Bowl festivities, I don't think you're going to see a lack of effort anymore because the old heads are going to be like, look, man, I drafted y'all. Y'all better try because back in my days – all yeah, right, <laughs> Back in my day. And depending on who the old head is, guys look up to. Sh- they call Shannon. Unk. People look Literally. up to the, um, people look up to Irving. So when they challenge you, like go out there and win this, they will. And then also, here's the big thing. It's Black History Month. This is when the Pro Bowl happens. The NFL is giving out um appearances like, look, we care about black stuff. So if you tell both teams, look. The winner invests $50,000 in a black charity and here, here, here. That's going to make guys try having a sit because it's like, yo, um, we want to make sure that we give the most amount of money to a charity that we care for in terms of design around black empowerment. So draft have the old heads invested, because when they're invested, they're not going to put up with the adversary. And in my opinion, the big thing is move it after the Super Bowl and bring it back to Hawaii. Now, I heard the reason why it's not in Hawaii anymore is the stadium in Hawaii sucks. So they're trying to rebuild that element. But if you oh, bring man. it back to Hawaii, I've heard a lot of players who used to play in the league and retire recently be like, yo, the Hawaii mystique is what really made guys want to go there and try hard. But now you got the game in Orlando and Vegas. It's like, bro, like, yeah, that's not the same, whenever, Right? It's not really the same. But when it was in Hawaii, and you got guys who probably live in Hawaii who have the opportunity to see you play the first time, in a Pro Bowl, you want to show up for them. So I think the OHO element is important. I think that's the main thing, in my opinion. NFL owners, Goodell, they need to focus on that. Overtime rules, nah. We saw what happened in nah, Cincinnati, Kansas City. We yeah. good on the OT rules. Make the Pro Bowl better because it's not a good look when everybody on the internet is like, bro, I tapped out at, at the second snap because I realized they're not even trying. Yeah, and, I was done. Right. And the only reason why the score looked close is because – Everyone wasn't trying, and that allowed the turnover aspect to go up. So adding the flag football limit is huge because what 707 brings off of what I've seen on YouTube and what I've seen play 707 brings out the most in football players, it like elevates comp because no one wants to be eviscerated one-on-one on on the island and that get trended on no one like everyone knows that. No, right, like because now it was seven guys with a comparison to like 11 guys on the field. So if it's 11 guys, we're not trying, I could be like, well, my linebacker and my safety didn't help me on underneath. Nah, man, seven on seven. It's just you and you one-on-one and you get, you get dropped off. Right. And you get talked about, you're going to show up. So the Pro Bowl can be salvaged. I know a lot of people are like, yo, get rid of it. They're not going to get rid of it. Um, I heard this extreme narrative. I mean, this is how powerful narratives are. This extreme narrative of the Pro Bowl ain't been the same for 20 years. Bro. No it hasn't been the same for the last 4. The last 20, I remember the 06, 07, 08, 09, those were yeah. good games. So, it can be salvaged. It's just the NFL like the NBA had to do. You got to recreate the wheel so guys can care. And I think best initiative is add bonuses to people that play in the game so that will eliminate um a dad being like I'm gonna sit out. Um add make sure it's after the Super Bowl so your best guys can play, limit the replacements and add the old heads back into the festivities because they're going to remind the new generation, the current generation, y'all better try because I'm investing my time and energy to see y'all if y'all don't try, especially a guy like Sharp. Sharp is a personality, so if you don't try, he will go on his platform and be like, Skip, such and such didn't try at all. And I'm like, I thought she was the best. And you know, cats now feel a type of way when that happens. They'll go on Twitter and be like, man, that ain't right. huh?" But so that'll make people show up because you don't want to let the other generation see you lacking
1: and they will talk bad about you because of- for sure. Like, yeah, just before I know we probably move on, but imagine if Shannon and Skip on the, come on, on the sideline, like on the, against, I don't know, it would have been Max and Stephen A. That is much watch TV. Who's not watching? I'm tuned in. Like we have Vox versus ESPN. I don't know what network. Now that might be a little confusing based on the network, but if we just go on with the, you know, I understand how money works. There's people on ESPN that go against each other. There's people on Fox with, with Nick Wright and Cowherd on one side and Shannon and Skip on one side. Must watch TV. You could have, you know, um, Mike, Stephen A. versus Greenberg and someone else. Like, it, it's, again, still must watch TV. It can be salvaged. They just need someone, a Gen Z, or maybe like ourselves, to get in there and, you know what I'm saying, give it some, some life. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly, indeed. Continue on the NFL carousel on this podcast we're going to talk about the coaching situation so all coaching vacancies are filled we're going to go one by one there's nine in all so we're going to go one by one in terms of who got the job how you felt when they got the job how you think this can work long term and we're going to start with the guy that's in the super bowl currently the offensive coordinator for the Rams, kevin o'connell is locked in to be minnesota's next head coach now the mike zimmer situation didn't work out the last few years a lot of minnesota viking fans complained (laughs) about how zimmer Was not super invested offensively. What he's known for as a former DC, the defense dropped off because he had a huge implement on who was getting drafted and whatnot. So he took corners like Dantzler and Gladney, and Gladney's not in the league, and Dantzler looks very out of sorts and in a position. So the profession that he was really good at, the defensive side, underperformed. Not in tune with the offense, so the offensive inconsistency showed. You get O'Connell, another guy from the Sean McVay tree. And so far, guys from the Sean McVay tree have worked. Matt LaFour balanced out the Green Bay offense, which is why they've had great regular season records, but you know, kind of flamed down the playoffs. Zach Taylor, yeah, it did take Joe Burrow to come through, and Joe Burrow probably saved that dude's coaching career. But with Joe Burrow there, he's able to utilize offensive elements to get the best out of the team, and it has worked. Joe Mixon was a top five rusher. Joe Mixon's passing ability or pass catching ability has been utilized as well um brandon staley to a degree um reinvigorated that los angeles chargers um team yeah i like Staley actually right now granted staley's kind of a crazy case in terms of understanding time and score he's very sporadic there but for the most part everybody from the McVay tree has panned out to be a successful nfl coach that's very hard to say when you look at head coaches in tree perspective in the nfl do you think O'Connell can be the next latest success story for the Vikings?
1: Um, It's going to be inter- – I don't think we can rule him out. Um, It's interesting that they picked him over Harbaugh. So he must have shown them something. Like I don't know what the interview was like, but clearly he said the right thing because pushing Harbaugh out, and that's probably Harbaugh's last chance in the league, and uh, with a quarterback like Kirk Cousins too – you must think O'Connell can do some good things. I mean, like you said, the track record's been good for McVeigh. And you know, the McVay comes from the Shanahan tree. So overall, that tree is just doing brilliant. Like they're they're all doing really good. So I think O'Connell will be fine there. And the Vikings offense wasn't terrible last year. Like, I mean, it really wasn't terrible. So he's if he upgrades a little bit, they have talent. You have Thielen, Just Jefferson has been a top five receiver. Um, tight end position, yeah. The offensive line has been okay. So you have places to improve. But I I don't know. I think I think he can make it work, man. Dalvin Cook, the injury history is not pretty. And then then they paid him and he got hurt again last year. And then I think this is Madison's last year on the contract. That's not exciting. But I I think O'Connor can make it work because McVeigh's people have basically made it like they are making lesser talent succeed a little more. Like all of them have kind of done that. And even with Shanahan and his, you know, going is a little deeper. They just make players play a little better. Is this what it seems, especially like on offense, it must be the scheme. So I think, I mean, I don't know if Cousins will play better than he did last year because I think that's probably, that's his peak probably. Like he's probably like around, for the rest of his career, he's going to be like either around that or lower. So I'm not sure he's going to play better, but he could maybe be more efficient in a way of taking more deep shots because his complete percentage and you know accuracy was not bad but just the amount of deep shots he was taking you know it could be rare so it's going to be interesting too because the vikings were a team that was that would fall off in the fourth quarter and that's actually a problem of this tree a little bit too so that's going to be interesting because we've seen all of the shanahan including shanahan and the disciples in the fourth quarter, sometimes the, the clock management and play calling falls off. So I'm interested to see what he does with that. Um, it is cool he has a veteran quarterback. I do think the Vikings are a team we need to look out with Matt Corral this year or one of those quarterbacks in the first round. Though. This is – this I think this is the perfect year for him to take a flyer on a quarterback that's going to fall. Maybe even Desmond Ritter, definitely going to make it there. I don't think to take him that high, but if they want to trade back and maybe get him, I, I would like that for the team.
0: Well, you brought up Harbaugh. The rumor with Harbaugh was he was cool with not being the coach GM, which is fine because he really wanted to be that in San Francisco. Trent Baalke didn't let that happen. Trent Baalke sucks, so I I get it. But he wanted to be coach GM in Minnesota. Well, he didn't want to. But I'm pretty sure in the aspect of being head coach for the Vikings, he probably was like, and the rumor was by Viking fans, he thought coming in he had the job on lock, so what he probably did was I want this much amount of money. And the Minnesota was probably like, that's too much for a guy that hasn't coached in the league for a while. I'm not sure. We heard about your track record of you do get the best out of teams in the NFL, but you wear guys thin. So it's like, you know what? We'll lean with O'Connell. And what helped O'Connell was the connection he had with Kirk Cousins. And he probably told the front office, look, I think we all agree that for the next two to three years, well, probably long term, Kirk isn't the answer. He's older we have a lot of money tied into him. So he's not going to last long, but I think I can get the best out of him in two years, which will allow us in a two year span to either draft a quarterback, like you said, in this draft or next year's draft, or maybe take a swing at a quarterback who down the line is playing for a certain team. Now may want out. And then maybe we can kind of push all our chips in and get that guy. So, and another thing that you said about the McVeigh and Shannon and trees, they do a phenomenal job of being a balanced offense. And so, they were, I thought the issue with the Vikings was at times they ran Dalvin Cook too much and too little. And you always want to find a finite way to balance it out offensively to get the most out of your productivity. Now, Dalvin Cook is a problem because of his injury history. You said Madison, his contract is going to be up next year. They need to find a way to find a running back replacement just to just to make sure that the weight of Cook being lost because he gets hurt like once every year is a substantial fall from grace, even though guys that have come in when well, Cook has been out have played well. And I think God is super excited about this, and he's expressed it. It's Justin Jefferson. He, he's going to make sure he gets the best out of that talent. He's amazing. But you also want to find receivers behind Jefferson that can make his life a little bit easier. Uh, Adam Thielen's phenomenal, but eventually he's going to be out of there. He's getting up in age. And Kevin Osborne was cool this year as a revelation, but maybe he's more of a third guy. So in a receiving class that's very deep, if the Vikings can maybe in the second or third round get a value pick and implement them within their system, that's going to be phenomenal. But the biggest issue for the Vikings is defensively. Uh, Daniel Hunter has wanted out for the past two years. If they lose him, they have no aspect of a pass rush. So they got to make sure that they resolve that situation. And then the secondary is another whole entity. I think with the first round pick, they're probably going to go corner. It's a deep corner class. I think they'll hit home with that, but Harrison Smith is getting up there, and like I stated, Dantzler has been hit or miss. So they got to figure out their secondary, got to figure out the pass rush. But I think offensively the pieces are there. You just need to prepare for um, life without them while maximizing the current pieces that are already there in Minnesota. And it does help that Aaron Rodgers probably won't be back with Green Bay, so that division's wide open. Although I still feel Green Bay, even without Rodgers, is probably the best team because they're the most complete, but yeah. Who knows? So up next, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think we all thought Byron Leftwich had that job on lock until it came out that he wanted uh Adrian Phillips to replace Trent Baalke. Khan was like, there's no way that's going to happen. You're either going to coach this team with balky in place or not. Leftwich was like, I'm good. I'm out. Now, that did open a door for Doug Peterson to be the head coach, who I thought would be a perfect um selection for the Jaguars. When the regular season was winding down, he is now the head coach for this football team. He was a former Super Bowl winning head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, when Doug Peterson got the job, there was a lot of mixed reviews from guys that were Philly fans and the guys that aren't Philly fans, but just saw Peterson and the Eagles from the outside looking in. So guys that are Philly fans were like, Peterson's not all that. Um, He didn't get the most out of Carson Wentz. Um, everybody remembers his last season where he... Um, purposely didn't care about winning the last game of the season, which prevented the Giants from making the playoffs. I think everybody remembers him at his worst moments, but Philly fans were like, yo, Peterson was a good coach. The issue was Howie Roseman. Him and Howie Roseman always, but it has. Another issue was Carson Wentz's injury, injury history. He was never fully healthy to be there. What I do remember about Peterson was He always got the best out of whatever quarterback played. Carson Wentz had the MVP season before he got hurt. Nick Foles led him to the Super Bowl. And then the year after, when they made that late playoff run and lost to the Saints, he was getting the most out of Foles there. Trevor Lawrence needs somebody that can get the most out of him, because I thought he was playing with his back against the wall with Urban Meyer leading the charge. He also runs the football. And the Jaguars have a staple of backs in Carlos Hyde, in James Robinson, and Travis Etienne, who didn't play at all last year because of an injury. How ideal do you think Peterson fits with this team? And could he maximize their ceiling in
1: Duval County? Oh, I definitely wanted Byron left with, with this job. I thought it was like just a match made in heaven with what he's done the last couple of years. And that's the team that you know he played for. I thought that was just going to be amazing. But I understand why he didn't take it. I support that decision. You're in a good spot. Kind of ride that into the Wheels fall off right now until you get the job you want. But with Peterson, I think he's a really good coach. As an NFC East resident, I, I think he's really good. I think he's better than any coach that's in the NFC East currently. I mean, maybe not Dable, but we haven't seen him yet, so I can't speak on him as a head coach. So, but like even like going, let's say last year, he would have been the best coach in, in the NFC East. So I truthfully don't didn't understand why he got fired. Clearly, it was the GM, and the GM is crazy that the owner picked the GM over Peterson, and Peterson won the Super Bowl though. And it's, it's, it's actually insane, but this is also the same honor that, you know, fired Andy Reid. So, I mean, <laughs> they have a history of kind of doing that. It, it's insane. I think he works really good with Lawrence, though. First, I mean, the only is a former quarterback. He's a former Super Bowl winning head coach. He went it with a backup quarterback. I, I, think, I think this is going to be really good for Lawrence's development. I think they're going – I think they're just going all in on Trevor, which is what they should do. Like, I don't even – I mean, I kind of care about the defense, but, like, Bro, you got to get Trevor right. I don't care if you don't draft a defensive player and defense is the worst in the league. If Trevor is good and he's developing right, it kind of doesn't matter. You can get a defense right at the time. Like you have to make sure he gets right. I think they're going to do that this all season in the draft. And I think that Peterson is going to finally be able to build a team that's preferable to him. So ho- hopefully, too, in the Eagles, they never really got the receiver position right. And the Jags right now also don't have any good receivers. And the pick they have, they can't draft the receiver. So I just hope that Peterson has to go through another cycle of no number one receiver. Great points indeed. Now, the ironic thing is
0: Peterson got driven out of Philly because of the GM ownership situation. He's now in a tumultuous GM ownership situation now in Jacksonville. Yeah. So he's really got a whole bulk. He knows what he's doing from a historical context perspective, he does not. Now, you're right. Offensively, they got to invest it all around Trevor Lawrence. This is why everybody's mock drafts went from Eden Hutchinson in November number one to like any tackle available, possibly going to yeah. Jacksonville with the first pick. You got you got to pick a left tackle position. Cam I'm Robinson not mad at, that at all? Exactly. Cam Robbins is their best old lineman, but I mean, you can always he's nice. he's, he's he's average. Um, it never hurts to get more offensive line depth. I think the biggest thing that hurt Jacksonville last season was they refused to run the football. Like, I I didn't get it. Now, uh, I didn't understand Urban Meyer taking Travis Etienne when he had James Robinson run from 1,000 yards the year prior. When Etienne was hurt, he decided to prioritize his Ohio State guy, Carlos Hyde, over James Robinson. Then when they finally started running James Robinson, uh, he got hurt. And that ended his season. So... Their running back situation is in flux because both of their best backs are compromised with season-ending injuries. You hope when training camp happens, they're both healthy. So I know out of Peterson, he's going to use the running backs. He's going to use a running back community. Everybody's going to get a touch. He's going to use the wheels of Trevor. He's going to use Trevor's um, strengths, which I think is his ability to throw on the move, to throw intermediate passes. But you're right, the receiving core is very bad. And it doesn't sound good when I hear their best one D.J. Chark is a guy that they probably won't retain. Now, you're right. They can't pick a receiver number one overall, but those second and third rounds where they're going to pick at the top, they got to invest in a deep receiver class. You got to get weapons in there. And I think Trevor's biggest issue was coming out of Clemson. He struggles to throw guys open. And he was in an offense where no one could separate to where it was easy for him to kind of line guys up because they were getting open at the top of their routes. You got to get separators out wide for him. And the receiving class in free agency isn't bad either. I'd entertain an Allen Robinson reunion, possibly, or whatnot, because we all saw when Doug Peterson had the weapons out wide at receiver during his time in Philly, the most of the offense was orchestrated. If he doesn't get that out in Jacksonville, it doesn't really matter. But they have too much talent, in my opinion, to be what they were last year. I think with Peterson in the fold, Lawrence will look like the number one overall pick that we all thought he would early on in his career. I think even though they couldn't get Byron Leftwich, this was the best, next best thing that they could get. Peterson, I think, would be an ideal fit in a division that is somewhat wide open because Vrabel has been successful in Tennessee, but how successful can he be with Ryan Tannehill running the team? That's what we got to say there. eden Navas has their own quarterback situation with Carson Wentz and Houston is like two years away. We're going to get to them. So I think Jacksonville has a chance to kind of be Cincinnati-esque, possibly, not get to the Super Bowl, but Cincinnati-esque next year to where they have a turnaround to where they win eight, nine games and they're competing for a playoff spot because they just need a coach and they need a successful draft to be right back in the picture. Up next, Brian Dable, who is now the coach of the New York Giants. He's a former OC of the Buffalo Bills. We kind of all knew when Joe Shine got the GM job for the Giants, he was going to pick Dable, Um, which, I mean, it was inevitable. I know the situation with Flores happened and, you know, Flores is suing the league, but I think we all knew deep down, even Flores, that he wasn't getting the job when Joe Shine got it. Now, I knew Moira wanted Flores, but we all knew when the GM came in and the GM had input, Dable was going to be the guy. Now, Dable's come out and said he likes Daniel Jones and he wants to build around Daniel. Now, Daniel it's kind of similar from a statistical standpoint to Josh Allen before Josh blew up. Josh was very rough around the edges. Dable kind of came in and got Allen with Jordan Palmer, changed his mechanics, and that changed everything for Josh. Now, Daniel can follow the same laws of science that Allen did, but is he the same type of player as Josh? No. I think Daniel Jones throws a beautiful deep ball, and I think he's just as athletic as Josh Allen but his arm isn't as strong, and he's a turnover machine. That's one thing I remember about Josh. Like, Josh, when he was young and rough, he was inaccurate. He made boneheaded decisions, but he wasn't a turnover machine. Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. How sold are you that Brian Dable can truly build around Daniel Jones and that be successful with that Giants offense?
1: Yeah, this is is a tough task, as there is. I mean, Daniel Jones is – he, oh, man, he's, he's a scary player. Like, I don't want him on my team. Cause it's like, you're going to keep buying in because like, he's like, I mean, I know people use this analogy all the time. He's like that girl. Like, she's bad, but like her personality is trash. Like, it's just like you, but you, but you're keep telling yourself to buy in. Like, man, this is my 10. I'm, I might can't get a 10 again. Cause like his talent level is good. So he's always six, four. It's probably like a four or four, Like he's a runner. Like he hasn't been like efficiently doing it as best as he, could utilize it but like he has all the traits but like he, like you say the turnover machine his vision isn't elite on the field like he doesn't like he definitely has to throw receivers open and i'm not gonna say the johns have like a quote-unquote number one receiver they have jason garrett but like galladay's not a scrub i mean darius tony was hurt he's also not a scrub darius slayton i like two years ago he hasn't been able to pop like there's guys in the team i think they can get open Sterling shepherd like their receiving core wasn't atrocious it wasn't good it wasn't top 10 but like he had guys i thought he could at least try to get the ball to evan ingram a little over it we all we all kind of know the evan ingram story like you know the treats but like is he really good but like regardless i thought he'd be a little better than this too he just hasn't elevated anyone like i think everyone's regressed with jones now that could just be the offense because i mean jason garrett i know better than anyone i get it but like i like no one has popped on the whole team even say Quan barclay like no one, a this is injury as well, but like no one's popped with Dayball. Now, if he can make this work, like I'm just gonna be, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm already sold. But like I'll be really sold. I hope he doesn't, as a Cowboys fan, by the way. I just want to raise my hand here. No, you can't see me, but I'm raising my hand saying I don't want it to work. So, and I also hope that they do keep Daniel Jones as against the Cowboys fan. I hope that he stays because I'm gonna be confident that we have the better quarterback in that matchup every time we play. But once again, dable has been really good. I didn't like Josh Allen at all. I mean, that's one of my other takes people have killed me about. I did not think he was going to turn out to be this good. Like, I just – I didn't like that he's kind of changing my perspective on the quarterback that has the but is isn't accurate. Because in college, he just what couldn't hit anything. In his first two years in the league, he couldn't throw anyone opener, just hit anyone, period. So mm-hmm. Dable got with him. He said Jordan Palmer. So I, I can't – I really can't wait to see. I think Dan Jones is a willing learner. Is the turnovers, man. Like, Eli Manning could never get off the turnovers. I don't care how good Eli was. He can never get off the turnovers. That I think that's, like, a part of you as a quarterback a little bit. Even Jameis, we say he, he did a little better last year, but it's, it's just in him. It's, like, in his heart. All
0: facts, indeed. When Daniel Jones got drafted, um, I was like, you know what, honestly, because I was a weak quarterback class. Well, Kyler Murray, by far, was the best. You had Haskins, who everybody was hyping, never was sold on Haskins. I thought Daniel Jones was better than Haskins then, and obviously he is now. But I thought Daniel Jones' ceiling was, was Ryan Tannehill. And last season, he played his best of his career, which isn't saying a lot, because during, during his early parts of his career, he was a turnover machine. Now, what Dable's going to do, he's going to come in, and he's going to utilize all of Daniel's strengths to his advantage. He throws a great deep ball. Expect a lot of more deep shots. He has solid legs. Expect RPOs where he's utilized more in the run game. Um, But the biggest issue that the Giants have is their offensive line. Andrew Thomas, who was a reach two years ago, looked like a reach no more this past season. He was solid. And they have two top 10 picks in a class where offensive line is a strength. They need to take two linemen. If they take a center and a tackle on the other side, that offensive line goes from trash to glorious overnight. And I think that'll open everything up for Saquon Barkley, who I agree, Skip Bayless, who's a, whose takes are off the wall at times. He called oh, it his the second wall. year. He was like, yo, Saquon is a hit or miss guy. He'll hit the big one. But for the most part, do you trust him to get those between a tackle, three, four yard carries to kind of make a defense slowly go to his knees and then wear you out into the fourth quarter? No. And that's facts. But I think what hurt Saquon is his offensive line isn't good either in terms of run blocking. So that only helped their pass and run game even more. So so there's that they got to get depth around Saquon as well. But I think offensively, the talent is there. The receiving core is solid. Kenny Galladay was a disappointment, but I think a lot of that had to do with the inconsistency at quarterback. I thought we saw flashes with Kadarius Tony. When Sterling Shepard's on the field, he's solid. Darius Slayton, I think, is much more of a threat down the field, and I think within that offense, he can be utilized. So I think Daniel Jones, you're gonna get the you're gonna see the best of him moving forward under Brian Dable, and I appreciate Giants ownership for acknowledging. Look, man, Daniel Jones. It's not all on him. We didn't surround him with the ideal prospects to get the best out of him, and that's true, but I also agree, like Tannehill, he is who he is. I think you get much more out of him, but do you expect Daniel Jones to elevate your team? No, which means it's important that the Giants build around his strengths and utilize his strengths to get the most out of that offense because defensively, they're solid, Um, even though they took kind of a step down. Um, And also, this is an intriguing part. We're going to get to this team later. It's crazy that Dable... Chose the Giants over the Dolphins because you could kind of make a case is Tua better than Daniel Jones? I think he kind of is. Tua's upside is a little bit more brighter because you can make a case. All you have to do is build an offense around Tua. We've seen Daniel Jones at his best and at his worst, so that says a lot in that context as well. Other coaching hire Nathaniel Hackett to the Denver Broncos. He's Green base former OC. We're gonna keep it short with the Broncos. It's clear they got Hackett to get Rogers. If Rogers does not go to Denver. Does this make this selection for him to be the headman a waste? Or could they potentially get the most out of it in terms of building a functional offensive football team around this
1: squad? I think Denver never gets the head coach, right? It's like they're never going to get the, the quarterback, right? It's just like if Rogers doesn't go here, this is like when the Wizards did like the Scott Brooks and you want Durant. like, bro, that doesn't work all the time. So like you're getting a, what is he? A, I don't, I don't even think he, it's so many other offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches that I would have gave a job before Hackett. I mean, I, it's, it's literally insane. The only way I, yeah, I, I truthfully don't get it. I, I don't get it. And in his press conference, he's like, yeah, man, me, me and me and uh, what, what's the uh, Lafleur? Like I we going to see who's the best looking head coach. I'm like, uh, like, okay, it's the first interview. Like, like, I don't know. They just, that just threw me off even more. So I look, they do have a chance to get Rodgers. But I'm also looking like I'm not sure Rodgers even leaves Green Bay this year. If he doesn't like snow, like incentive, I guess, unless it's like a crazy package Denver gives. And Denver, I guess, is quote unquote ready for like a veteran quarterback because they have like some receivers and they paid some linemen and the defense solid. But like if Rodgers doesn't go, this is just an L. That's all I have to say. an L if he doesn't go there. Yeah, because
0: Rodgers is in the driver's seat. He knows Green Bay still wants him. I don't understand why Green Bay still wants them. If you trade it up to get Jordan Love, just move on and build around Jordan Love. Um, He knows Denver really wants him. They hired a guy that he recommended to get a coaching gig, and Denver took the bait. And I think he's also accepted the fact that he might not win another ring. And I think he's looking in his hardware, and he's like, yo, I got four MVPs. A lot of people look at me as still that guy. I can leave like Brady somewhat on top in a weird way where it's like i didn't win the chip but i'm a two-time mvp um i let everybody know that the last couple years the year couple seasons prior that quote-unquote fall off was a mirage i still got it and i could leave the man so he's in a complete driver's seat i think denver they messed up when they didn't take josh allen which is crazy because josh allen is like the prototypical john elway quarterback He's tall. He's white. He has a big arm. I mean, that that's John Elway's type of quarterback. And he didn't take him. And He played in Wyoming, which is like the Mountain West. That's in Denver's locale. And then they didn't take Justin Fields. They took Patrick Sertan. And Justin Fields has shown yeah. in Chicago that he has the potential to be it. He was also hindered yeah. by a horrendous coaching staff. And so, yeah, Patrick Sertan worked out. But did you really need another corner um, or did you need a quarterback to come in and open up the talent that you have offensively? They have a solid O-line. They have one of the underrated receiving cores in the AFC West. And now they lucked up and got Javante Williams, who's a running back stud to beat. And now you're just missing a quarterback. And you're in another draft class where the quarterback class sucks. Drew Locke's not it. Teddy Bridgewater's probably on the way out. So if you don't get Rodgers, you are stuck. And it's a waste of time. So I think what they should have did, if they had a chance to play it back, you take Justin Fields to where now, in year two, you're just getting a coach that can get the best out of Justin Fields instead of getting a coach to yep. get a quarterback that you don't know you can even have because Rodgers, like you said, could just chill in Green Bay. Rodgers could hang it up. So he's in a leverage position. You're at his mercy. And Denver stuck, man, because they're in a division where Kansas City's top dog. Um, Los Angeles got their quarterback of the future. Vegas, even though they're not sold on Derek Carr, he's competent and they're building something so they're in a tough spot and at this point they're at a guy's mercy that we don't know is going to even be there so that's Denver in that nutshell Josh McDaniel to Las Vegas he was the former OC of the New England Patriots Uh, McDaniels has had a couple of curious coaching spots he was at Denver didn't work out there Um, he was in tours I think. drafted Jay Cutler and then Jay Cutler had some moments some other moments and then he got traded um, he was actually supposed to be Indianapolis Colts' next head coach, and then he decided not to go to Indy and stay in New England. Um, he let a fax be known that he wasn't going to be there, which is odd. And now he finally gets a head coaching gig with Vegas. He even got to hire his own GM. Uh, for the Raiders, their team was disappointed that uh, Rich um, Versace wasn't able to get the gig. And we kind of all knew he wasn't going to get it because I think Davis wanted to turn the page in the John Gruden era. Pasachio is an extinction of that era, and as phenomenal as he was, I think the only way he's going to keep the job is if the Raiders like went to the Super Bowl, which I don't think we thought was going to happen. So McDaniels is here, but the question remains: Derek Carr, is he still Vegas's guy? We all knew John Gruden did not like Derek Carr, and I think he was trying to force Derek Carr out the picture. But Derek Carr was the only reason why this team was average, so you kind of had to keep him in the picture, in the fold. Now McDaniels is here. Do you see McDaniels going all in with Derek, or could you see Derek potentially on the trading block to where McDaniels can now create a team in his own image?
1: Uh, Carr is getting a little there up in age, so it would be interesting, but I kind of think he's the McDaniels type of quarterback. His play style just gives what New England used to do. And I think Carr is a top-12 quarterback. He's going to Super Bowl, to me at least. Some people don't agree with a top-12 quarterback. I think he's actually like the last of that class I think he can really win a Super Bowl he's like at the like he's like the last guy like ah, you go a Super Bowl with Derek Carr like I think he's you know he has like a little bit of clutch he's he has swagger like he I think he can get it done and we see like the receiving core there wasn't excellent like with drugs, I mean you know before the tragedy that happened he was just kind of get it going but the receiving core there isn't amazing like Zay Jones was like a guy they were going to like a lot. So it, it, it's, I don't know. They have a lot to work on. Uh, I wasn't, I'm still not that high on Josh Jacobs. I think he's physical, but, but like it's something about him. I'm just lower on him than other people have been. I think McDaniels is going to work with Derek Carr. I think it's a good fit. I think they kind of do with, I think, I think they just work together well. And I think McDaniels kind of needs a veteran. Like we saw he drafted Tebow. Like, I'm not he's not gonna do that again, but like that, like. He needs a vet to get himself going now. Maybe if it just doesn't work for a year or two, they they buy in a first round QB, let him sit, then drop Car. But I think Car's at least there for this year. I think it can work out. I think they'll. I think they could possibly make. Well, it's a, it, the division is kind of tough. If Rodgers goes there, they're not in the playoffs. That's also the scary part is that they their Car somehow could possibly be the the fourth best QB in, the, in this division if Rodgers goes there. That's like the just a tragedy because that's just the AFC. But. That's the, now that's the, the catch swing too. If that happens, then they might let him go.
0: Yeah. If Rogers goes to Denver, you got to say the AFC West is the best conference. And I mean, best division in the conference. I mean, that's a yeah, conversation to be had, for sure. Um, You brought up a great point about Derek. He is a Josh McDaniel type quarterback. You know, Josh McDaniel drafted, wanted, advocated for, and did get Jay Cutler and Derek Carr is kind of like, jay cutler if he was sane, like he has the <laughs> arm but he's not super reckless with the arm now he's reckless in his decision making but he doesn't look at himself like i got this big arm i'm just throw it through a mountain and just hope for the best he's got a controlled arm that he's able to try at different angles on the field successfully i did thought this year he was the reason why they lost some games because finally the raiders defense turned the corner they got a pass rush, and guess what happened? They looked completely different. Max Crosby, who I always felt like was the best pass rusher on the team for four years, finally broke out to the point where everybody nationally recognized him, and then it helped that Yannick Ngakoue on the other side turned the corner and bounced back from that year he had during COVID with Minnesota. Um, the crazy part about the Raiders is I'm going to touch base on their previous regime before I go to the regime that they have now. It's a damn shame that Mike Mayock wasn't able to do what he does best, like select players, because he was the GM. Uh, Gruden had such a hot, heavy input on what they drafted on their team that it clearly showed why is Damon Arnett getting picked in the first round when that happened everybody was like he's not supposed to be a first round pick Leatherwood why is he getting picked in the first round that guy's like a day two three three pick Harry Rose had the speed that everybody was in with because of Tyree Kill, but you really took him over C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson like I think if Mayock was given the opportunity to do what he did best on NFL network, which was look at these guys, scout, these guys, talk about those strengths and weaknesses and build the proper NFL team, NFL roster within his image, that team would have been so much better the past three years, but nonetheless, McDaniels is here now. Um, car is incredible. Car fits what they do. F- fits what they do. They have to figure out the receiver position because they need a speedster. Um, They need need a lot. Like They need a speed guy. They need a possession guy. Uh, Darren Waller's incredible. So the tight end situation is down pat. Um, Josh Jacobs' problem is the thing that made him such a high-light pick at his position in the draft was he didn't have the wear and tear because of the carries. He played one full season with Alabama, and he survived that season. It was like, yo, he didn't get a ton of carries his first three years. That's going to help in the league. And his first year in the league, he gets hurt. And then ever since then, he always gets hurt. So he's damaged good somewhat at the back position, but when he is healthy, he's, he's solid. Um, Kenyon Drake, who they got, barely utilized. So they probably need another back that's younger than all of them to kind of prepare for a transition in that aspect. They need receivers as well. They got to finish up the offensive line, but defensively, they're building something, they're building positive. I think I'm just curious with McDaniels. It hasn't worked out in his last stop. So if he's able to build the team in his own image, what will we get out of that situation? It's going to be intriguing. Um, Chicago picked Iberfluss, Matt Eberflus, defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. An intriguing situation here was Chicago had three sectors of their organization. They all wanted different things. Um, uh, the, the, the consultant, Bill Polian, he wanted Jim Caldwell. Um, the ownership, uh, they wanted Dan Quinn. But the GM wanted Ibraflus. The GM ultimately had the decision on who he wanted to hire. He hired Ibraflus. So now the big question is, who's going to be the OC for Chicago so we can get the best out of Justin Fields? Um, Is the most important thing for this hire going to be – this is self-explanatory, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is it going to be the defense's improvement, which took a step back since their last playoff participation where they had a home playoff game against Philly,
1: or the evolution and growth of Justin Fields? Uh it it has to be. You have to prioritize fields. I think fields showed a lot of flashes last year. Like clearly we know like he has potential, he could be a good quarterback. Like he has he has a lot going with the arm. Clearly, he's like a four, 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 five guy. Like he can run, throw. Like, I mean, in this he was okay. In Ohio State, he was throwing on targets a lot. Last year, I mean, I think he kind of got off it a little bit. Maybe he's not, you know, looking at his fourth read, he's probably taking off after like the second. But with good coaching, which he didn't have. I think he has a chance to improve. Now, this I hate this higher. This is actually a higher than I think I would have even given an F. Great coach, terrible fit. Like it's like Vic Vangio. Eight plus, probably one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. Why does he to have a job as a D coordinator? I have no idea. But as a head coach, I'm not sure. Wade Phillips, he was a head coach of my Dallas Cowboys, A plus defensive coordinator, Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator. As a head coach, he, he's not gonna cut it. He's not gonna cut it you had to get an offensive mind to be with Justin Fields. He's not, he's special. He's not special enough to overcome bad coaching. And it's looking like they're going to probably go with like an old head offensive coordinator. I'm not sure if they hired one yet. I haven't heard anything, but with this type of hiring, usually they go with like a Schadenheimer type of hiring. Like, Oh, like he's been around the league 20 years. He can do it. Like, bro, the coaches that are in the Super Bowl right now are, are under 40 years old. Like, you need a younger guy to elevate your quarterback. Like, you have to have a coordinator that grew up and understand what an RPO is. Like, they weren't even running the play in Chicago last year. Justin Fields, ten year was one of the best quarterbacks in college football at using that type of play because of his speed and, you know, arm velocity. So I, they, I'm very scared for Fields. And as a fan, I'm scared I'm going to have to now, like, take my take back about him being good because they might ruin his career. Yeah, man, I was so disappointed that they
0: didn't make a harder push for Dable. Like, Dable would be perfect in that on that organization because of what Justin Fields has from an upside perspective. It kind of yeah, aligns 100%. to what we saw Josh Allen as early in his career before he put it all together. Um, look, with Ibra it's... Uh, I thought Colin Cowherd talked about it best when they let Nagy go. He was like, yo, Chicago is this... Um, team the Bears. They they're stuck in the past. Eighty-five Bears. Um, the Bears team that went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Colts. Like, just gritty, defensive-oriented. They want to show you that they're the toughest, bo- toughest bully on the block, and they're just gonna let it rain with their physicality on the defensive side. But the problem is, we live in a more offensive-oriented era where even if you have a stout defense, if your offense can barely muster anything, you'll be nine and eight where all right you'll be competitive you win games you'll be over 500 but you're not going to be a legitimate playoff contender and so with Eberflus I think what he'll do is he'll bring the most out of the defense um because what he did with that Indianapolis defense that on paper yeah they got Darius Leonard but we don't look at the Colts defense as like groundbreaking they were like middle of the road and they made a lot of impactful plays to win games last year with the exception of their poor performance against Jacksonville So he's going to get the most out of Roy Kwan Smith, Jalen Johnson. Um, I I think with the GM um, running the helm, they're going to be able to get quality players within the roster. But you're right. Like, who's going to OC Fields? And if it's a guy that's an old head that's been around the block that you said doesn't know about an RPO read, and instead he'll be like, Fields under center, we're going to go um, 12 personnel and run I formation and do an occasional bootleg and fields. You're gonna drop back and have to read the field and get rid of it in a traditional um, pro style offense, bro. Like that's a waste of time. <laughs> so that's a, a complete waste of time. And Chicago's at a point where they are not Detroit in terms of they're not completely rebuilding, but they're not Minnesota where it's like they have enough key to where if they get the right coach and they'll be there. They're in the middle, and so everything has to be designed around making sure Justin Fields is prioritized towards being what he should be we saw monday night football against pittsburgh fields at his best made a phenomenal big time throws lit a couple of game-changing drives to put the bears in position to win that sold me to be like okay he's that guy the bears should have made it a priority to where you get a guy that makes sure fields can be that guy consistently instead they went the chicago route which is all right man we're gonna we try matt Nagy oc it didn't work so we're gonna go back to our defensive roots we're gonna get basically Lovey Smith 2.0 and Eberflus. We're going to make sure we're defensive oriented. We're going to have great special teams, great defensive play, and Fields is talented enough. He'll figure it out, but he needs growth. He needs evolution. This isn't Burrow or Herbert where they just step in and no matter who's the OC, they make it work because they're phenomenal. He needs a little bit more grooming to where once he's that guy, then you can probably get away with a defensive minded coach, but it was unfortunate that they went that way. I'm not completely down on it because I do think Chicago's defense took a step back. So having a guy like Ebra Flues running the DC, you can get the best out of that side of the ball, but if Fields is neglected. Then you're back to being what you were under Trubisky before he left. So that's a huge thing. Um, with the Miami Dolphins, this one, man, this confused me. And I want your point. I want your opinion on it. Mike McDaniel is the head coach. He was in the Niners, former OC and run coordinator. And the amount of people I saw online be like, wow, that's a great hire. I'm like, hold up. Kyle Shanahan runs that team. And McDaniel was a run coordinator for four years. He just got the position of OC this year. And he was only kind of put in the head coaching conversation because Kyle Shanahan co-signed him. Like, yo, he'd be a great OC. Now, other things I heard, he's biracial, he's black. I did not know that. Um, He kind of talked about it at the press conference. Allegedly. Right. Allegedly, he talked about it in the press conference and he was like, doesn't matter if I'm black, I'm a human being. I think that's a corny answer. You're better off just not saying anything. But all right. So he's a minority hire that the NFL. Truly needed. He's going to be the head coach for the Dolphins. My issue with it is off of his track record. I feel like he got the job because he's cool with the Shanahan's, at least the past Shanahan disciples were guys that were involved consistently in game management as coordinators this guy was a run coordinator didn't know that was a job and then was an oc for the niners but we all know shanahan's running the operation so this has a chance to be zach taylor 2.0 the problem is tua isn't burrow so are you so in McDaniel being the ideal hire for Miami? Because you hire this guy to get the best out of Tua. But if he's yeah. not ready to do that because he just doesn't have the skin on the
1: wall to have the full responsibilities of being a coach, period,
0: I don't think that can happen.
1: Yeah. I don't know how I got a job of Keller Moore. And as a Cowboys fan, I was kind of ready for more to go. I'm behind percent honest. But at the end of the day, this is a what have you done for me league. Moore's had two number one offenses. I love that. He's not my homes. Like two, when Dak has been healthy, they've had the number one offense both times. They were probably going to have the number one offense before Dak broke his leg. So that'd be three years, at least yardage and points. You were, you know, it doesn't really mean as much as it used to mean. But regardless, the number one offense in the regular season is still an accomplishment. He's not even 38 years old. Like Calvin Johnson's like co-signing him. Like, yeah, like I remember him in the locker room. And I'm like, yo, Calvin just retired. Like, people forget how young Moore is. Like, he just got out the league basically he wasn't good enough. But regardless, his track record, he's been good since he's been with Dallas. I'm really surprised I didn't pick him. And, again, Dak has developed since he's been with Moore. Undeniable. Now, you can say that another coach could unlock Dak a little bit more, probably. But regardless, he's done a good job. I don't know how. I think, actually, it's probably because they just went to the, they beat Dallas in the playoffs. It's dumb as that is. It's really a dumb like way to like pick coaches, but like that's probably what got him the job. Because like what else got him the job? It it means not like money, it's not track record because he doesn't call plays, so it's it had to be just because they beat Dallas and I think because they only went to the Super Bowl. He's like Oh, I mean, and Shanahan like the tree. Technically, Kellen Moore has no tree, so I mean his tree. I guess I guess he's I of not under Jason Garrett tree because like they don't even run the same offense he's kind of his own entity, so you can't like call anyone about Kellen moore And sadly enough, that's probably what Miami messed up. And again, Tua, I don't know. It's just like he just Tua just can't get consistency. He's again, he's another one that I don't think is special enough to overcome dysfunction.
0: Yeah, Kellamore, the Kellamore takes is phenomenal because he was one of the final three. And you're right, like Dak was at his best under kellen moore now i'm not a kellen moore fan i know you're not either as a cowboy guy yeah i feel like kellen moore got overrated as the ideal head coaching candidate because i felt like he made his job a lot harder by not utilizing tony pollard and cd lamb for like there was too many games where tony pollard and cd lamb barely got touches but we're still handing it off to zeke elliott like it's 2016 and we're still (laughs) going to amari cooper like it's 2017 or 18 so I, i that's that was my issue with kellen but it's undeniable, but like you said, got the best out of that. McDaniels, I think it came down to Greer has been a part of the Dolphins organization for 20-something years, which means he knows Shanahan because Shanahan has been a part of the league just as long, if not longer. And he probably saw the growth and evolution of Kyle. He see what McVay's doing. He, see, he sees all those extensions of the Shanahan tree. He sees all of that. And he's probably thinking, you know what, Flores, the Belichick tree, kind of failed for us, even though Flores was probably the most successful Belichickian disciple ever. And so I was like, Literally. let me get some of that McDaniels. The problem with Mike is, one, I think he's a little too goofy. I mean, I know it's press conferences, but it's a little childish with it. It's kind of like he's having, like, reporters are doing their job at the press conference, and he wants to recite Miami lyrics. Like, what, what are we doing, bro? Like, lock in a little bit. Now, you could say Nick Sirianni didn't have a great interview last year, but with Sirianni, was like nerves, but I never felt like he was goofy. I just was like, I don't think he's a good public speaker. I think McDaniels is too goofy, trying to be too down, trying to be too cool. But back to the NFL aspect in terms of coaching, bro, we know Kyle Shanahan runs everything offensive oriented. So what can you really do? Like, what can you really bring? So if you're going to bring the San Francisco 49ers offensive philosophy to Miami, that's not going to work because the Dolphins don't have the O-line. All right, I think the best way to get The best way to get the best, I think, out of the Miami Dolphins offense is you got to design an offense around Tua. Andy Reid, I thought, did it perfectly with Alex Smith. He was like, all right, I got Alex Smith. I'm going to make sure to design an offense around Alex Smith. I know Alex Smith does not throw a good deep ball, but he's phenomenal underneath. He's phenomenal intermediate, and he can run. So I'm going to get Tyreek Hill. I'm going to get speedsters. I'm going to get a possession tight end as well underneath to where those things are utilized to the best of the degree. We're successful in the regular season that will lead us to the playoffs. Miami needs to do the same thing. Jalen Waddle was phenomenal for them. They need to yeah. get like two more Jalen Waddles. They don't have to be exactly like <laughs> Jalen Waddle, but they got to be able to separate at the top of their routes and be dynamic with yards after the catch. Devontae Parker makes no sense. I like Devontae Parker a lot out of Louisville, but he's not a good fit with Tua because he's a possession receiver that needs an accurate passer to throw him over on back shoulder fades. Mike Kosicki's not yeah. bad, but. And I think keeping Mike Kosicki around wouldn't be a bad idea. But if you can get an upgrade with a tight end that's just as good as Kasiki, but it's a little bit more dynamic after the catch on an intermediate route, that's good as well. But you also need an offensive line. Austin Jackson hasn't worked. Um, Laramie Tunsil, uh, is he still there? Is he not still there? I'm not sure. The row line as a whole has been in flux for a while. They got to improve that. And you got to get receivers that can be dynamic after the catch in intermediate route concepts with Miami. I heard guys like, yo – if McDaniels comes there, he can use Jalen Waddle like Debo Samuels. Please do not do that. Jalen Waddle is going to get killed and hurt. All right. Yeah, Jalen Waddle that. was, he, he's not Debo. He's not as big as Debo. He's not as physical as Debo in terms of running through the chinches. He was out, I think, in and out of the lineup throughout the regular season because of ankle injuries. You need to utilize Jalen Waddle like Tyreek Hill. All right. Utilize him on jet sweeps, utilize him on slants, receiver routes. The only run concepts he should be utilized is on perimeter runs on the edge. So getting about two more waddles, guys that can kind of make plays after the catch is influential. They're proving that O line is phenomenal, but I, again, McDaniels, man, I don't know if he's it. And if it doesn't work for Miami under McDaniels, then they're back at square one. And I think the biggest thing that they're gonna kick themselves for is they should have took Justin Herbert. All right, I, like even at the time, yeah, when Tua, even at the time when Tua was the man, like Tua was coming off of the hip surgery. And so, yes, Herbert was a very raw prospect that didn't look good at all in Oregon his last year. He was the most healthiest with the highest upside and with the most strongest arm. All those things matter when it comes to the NFL pre-draft process. That's a no-brainer. They didn't take him. So now you got a guy that, when healthy, is limited. So that means you have to design an offense around him to elevate himself from his limitations. And so I think it's possible. I don't know if McDaniels is that guy because I just – I don't because I know for sure he doesn't have input in the San Francisco offense. So if he's just going to come in and be like, I'm going to run the San Fran offense, you don't have the quarterback. You don't have the O line. And honestly, the players that you have on the roster don't have the ceiling to be successful in that situation. So we'll see there. Uh, Dennis Allen of the New Orleans Saints. He was Saints, D.C. Now he's the Saints head coach. Um, I think the Saints prioritize maintaining the Sean Payton culture within the organization. I think that's why Dennis Allen got the job. Two biggest question marks are: Is did Allen learn from his Oakland days? Has he improved? Is he going to be like a? Um, I can't think of the coach at the top of my mind even where they struggled the first time he got it, but then the second time he redeemed himself and it worked out. Did he learn from the Oakland days? And the biggest thing is quarterback. Um, they got to figure that out. Like, do you keep Jameis? Do you not keep Jameis and then take the plunge with the draft prospect? Um, what are your answers on those two statements? And do you feel like? The Saints have what it takes to where if things go right, they can be back in the playoffs. Because I gotta also add this: Alvin Kamara, if he's not going to jail, he's gonna be suspended for eight games. So that's something that you also have to add, I think, in the pre draft process in terms of finding a replacement in the backfield.
1: Yeah, this 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 is the worst division probably coming into next year. Like I don't know who wins this division. Like there's no like good team here. I mean, like the Panthers somehow might, or maybe the Falcons might sneak and win this division somehow. Like. They have a chance to win this division. I would personally keep Jameis. He looked pretty good to me. I mean, I'm not going to say that it was like a star last year, but like for that team, I think they maybe could have given the team a run in the wild card. Like they probably wouldn't have won the game, but they'd have been competitive. I would personally keep Jameis. Dennis Allen, I think like you said, they're prioritizing just not imploding the cap. We know how bad it is. I think this is a year. They're kind of just conceding the year. They just have to kind of concede a year or two. They have to. It's just the way their cap is built. Like the Rams are going to have to do that maybe in the next two, three years as well. Just throw a year out. And this might be the year for the New Orleans Saints. And I think that's also Sean Payton knows that. I think that's also why he took a step back. And then Allen knows that before taking the job too. And that's why I think he also was the best candidate for the job because he has a plan for the next three years. It's not just about next year. So I think they'll wait on drafting a quarterback, or we keep talking about Desmond Ritter. Somehow he's been—I've seen him low on people's boards. I keep bringing him up. If he falls the second round, which I, which he's been projected in a lot of drafts to go, I would take a flyer on him. Like I just would, and you even if he doesn't work for a year, maybe you draft a if you draft another quarterback in next year's class. But I wouldn't draft a quarterback in the first round, preferably if I was the Saints, I just wouldn't touch that. Now with this team. Now what you don't know what's happening with Michael Thomas, like we kind of forgot he's even an NFL player. Like you didn't bring him up for a reason. Like he's not even a topic of discussion anymore. So it's just like, what do we, like in the Kamara, like you're in Vegas, you have a batter in charge. Like it's just, it's too much. They, they have a lot going on. This seems like a year that they're just going to concede. And this is a like culture building year. Like you, you can win six games. But you can feel good about those six wins, kind of like the Texans this year. Like no one wanted the Texans to win; they win four or five games. Like winning one game was like an accomplishment to me for Houston. I thought they would maybe not win any game. So like that was a cultural move for Houston. I think the Saints can do that too. Plus, you do have, still have like good players on the team. Like Davenport is pretty good. I mean, you have like Lattimore. Like there's players on this team. So I think it's a year they won't maybe not maybe won't make the playoffs. So that maybe they can have a late push. But they're just trying to keep building that culture there.
0: Yeah, I feel like for the Saints, the worst thing that happened was Sean Payton, kept Drew Brees, two years too long, and then yep. in time, energy, and funding in Taysom Hill as a quarterback. That cost him. And I think it might cost him again this year. Because I think Allen coming in, I think he's going to realize Taysom's not the answer. And the only way Taysom stays on the roster is he exclusively is a gadget guy. Like, no more, hey, Taysom, you're a gadget guy, but you're a backup. Nah-uh. They go, they're probably gonna go out of their way to get three quarterbacks for the to Just do that. And Taysom's job is just be gadget man. Now, yeah, they're in a tough spot because the worst thing that happened was Kamara and the battery charge. I read about what happened, it made no sense to me. Um, we're on the street as the guy called one of his friends ugly. He um the friends clearly had it covered in terms of oh, you talking trash about me, I'm gonna fight you, and then his dumb butt decides to jump in on the jumping. Like all he had to do was let his homies do the damage. He leaves with his girl and they we're not having this conversation though. We're on the streets. He could get five years, which means he, you know, his life isn't over, but his football life would be over. I think what's yeah. probably going to happen is he's going to have to pay off the guy. Um, and the NFL, they don't like the saints anyway. They're locked in on this and they're like, yo, man, you're gonna have to get eight games. So that's half the season. So I already said coming in, the Saints need to have a draft like the Panthers did a couple of years ago, but in reverse. Everybody needs to be offense. Like I like you can't go wrong. You need to get a <laughs> yeah. quarterback for the future, you need to get you a running back for the future, you need to get you a couple of linemen, a couple of receiver. Like they they do. Now I think they're in a position where where they're picking, I think top 15, maybe eight. No, they're picking 18. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a chance in this draft, somebody could fall. And maybe in a position like that, you can go best player available. But I think they need to prioritize offense moving forward. I think with Allen, um, the cap situation is not that big of a deal because I think this is my theory. And I think a lot of guys think this is well. I think the cap in sports is a mirage. I think these guys are so wealthy that they can find creative ways to manipulate the cap and still get the best out of their roster. It just comes down to is your owner and GM cheap? Um, Bengals, they're cheap, so they might the look at it. Right? The they, they haven't yeah. been as cheap, so um, especially now with guys that they like. So, I think they're gonna find a way to get under the cap. I read this article where getting under the cap is very manageable. I think they will have to probably cut ties with like a Malcolm Jenkins or something, but they can make sure to restructure Cam Jordan's deal, restructure Kamara and Thomas's deal. They've even gave guys extensions to where it's designed to where they can push their signing bonuses back to where they can cash out later on so they'll get under the cap I think you're right though quarterbacks huge keep Jameis Winston quarterback class is not that good and the free agency quarterback class isn't that good so Jameis is going to be a hot commodity wouldn't be surprised if Saints Pittsburgh and Tampa all compete for him but I think the Saints would be in the driver's seat if Dennis Allen Mickey Loomis and Gail Bitson come up to Jameis and are like look man everybody's going to offer you the same contract we're going to give you. You're not going to get like this three year, $30 million deal because as great as you played, you got hurt like right when you were starting to cook. So we're going to give you uh, a deal where the signing bonus is going to be good. We're going to give you some incentives where if you hit these incentives, they'll all pay off for you in the end. Come back. Michael Thomas is going to be back. We're going to get you better weapons. We're going to get you an offensive line. You're going to be successful. So I think they're in the driver's seat for Winston. They can keep them. And I think because of that, like you said, their division's weak. They can find a way to compete for the playoffs, but it can go south if they're not able to keep Winston. And now you're going to have to hinge your hinge your own um, bets on Dennis. I mean, Desmond Ritter starting Week One if they take him in the second round. I like yeah. Desmond Ritter. I like Desmond Ritter's intangibles, <laughs> but I think from an accuracy standpoint, he isn't there. Now, I read he's working with Jordan Palmer, the same guy that fixed oh, Josh Allen. That's if good. He if he can do. If he can do the Ritter what he did with Allen, that's great because Ritter has it all. Like he can read defenses, he can go through progressions, he can call out the pre snap, reach, all of that. Um, And he's mobile. Like he's got everything that you want from a quarterback. Because a lot of times quarterbacks have the arm, but they can't read because a lot of these guys coming out of college, it's um, RPO type systems where you got your first read, if it ain't there, run or if it ain't there, check down. Um, he can do all of that it's just about accuracy with him because at times he can make a throw and it's like wow he threw a bb between the linebacker. Then other times it's like he skips it to a wide open running back in the flat by two yards so that's the really big thing with him but i think with the saints they got to go all offense and um, prioritize running back and receiver because you need somebody opposite of michael thomas and now with kamara being an idiot you need somebody behind him that could probably be productive. And this running back class is not being talked about, it is deep. And I don't see anybody taking a running back in the first round. So the Saints can mess around and get yeah. and, and can get a um a, a Brees Hall. You know, they can get a Kenneth Walker. And if they can't get those guys, you can get you uh Keandre Ingram from US. You can get you a guy that can come in for an eight-week span and hold it down until Kamara comes back. And so I think those are all things they need to prioritize. Um. Last but not least on this topic, before we move on to the NBA, Lovey Smith of the Houston, Texas, Houston's former DC. Now, Ron, we got to keep it. We got to keep it a buck. They were going to hire Josh McCown, bro. They were really going to hire Josh McCown. They were yeah. really going to hire Josh McCown to be their head coach. He was so inexperienced. He was so not ideal for that position. But uh, Easterby loved him. He loved him because he preached faith, football, and family. Um, I don't know what faith and family have to do with football, but okay. (laughs) Nothing, nothing, but he loved them that much. And they really Mm. wanted to do it. But then Flores' lawsuit came. If Flores didn't sue, McCown would have been the guy. Flores' lawsuit came. I think the NFL knocked on Houston's door and was like, look, guys, we know what you're going to do. We can't let you do it. So instead, they gave the job to Lovey. And I feel like Lovey's a great head coach. Well, I don't want to say great. He's a good head coach. He made it work in Chicago, an organization known for great defenses and trash quarterback play. They went to a Super Bowl and an NFC championship game under Lovey with Rex Grossman and the inconsistent um, Mirage known as Jay Cutler. Uh, I thought he got a raw deal in Tampa, but if people don't want it, because I think a lot of people bring up his Tampa Bay record like he was 6-28. But what a lot of people don't recognize is year one, I think he still had Josh Freeman. That didn't work out. And then he just got Jameis in his rookie year. And With rookie Jameis, he won six games. So they wanted to rock with Dirk Cutter because they thought Dirk Cutter was the OT at the time. He could get the ball <laughs> out of Jameis and he couldn't. So Lovey Smith in Houston will provide defensive upside when he was with the when he was the DC for him last year. That defense played phenomenal compared to what they had. Um, he'll provide stability and structure within that team. There'll be a tough, hard-nosed team that'll be there to play. My question to you is is upper management going to design a team to get the most out of lovey or they're going to just look at it as we had to follow nfl's rhetoric we already got the guy that we want josh mccown on lovey staff so we're going to sabotage lovey for two years to make sure josh gets it in year three
1: yeah i i um i recently did a story and a package on this deal i mean it's on everything and i didn't i couldn't go as hard on that type of platform because we all know in new, news type of format, you can't just like say opinion-based things. But on a podcast, you can. I mean, you can all you can you you can show more personality. So with the Lovey Smith, we said he, I think he's I think he could be a good coach. It's not really about that. But he, at the end of the day, he hasn't had a winning season period since 2020. These is just the facts. Now, has his quarterback played? Has he had a even Pro Bowl caliber quarterback since then? No. But he also doesn't have it down either. This is like they they keep setting him up for like failure. That's his problem. Like, I, like if he was on a team that I feel like more ready, I'm like, oh, Lovey's been there. Clearly, he can coach a locker room. But he's putting this is a terrible situation. And like you say, McCown's already on the staff. We know what they're going to do. They're sabotaging Lovey Smith. They fired David Cully for no reason. He overachieved. He overachieved just like Flores this year. They were fired for overachieving. Like, the, if you go to the preseason, I, I predicted they wouldn't win a game. That was, like, a hot take I had. I thought the team was that bad. And the team was realistically that bad. Tyrod Taylor did play a little better than I thought. But overall, the team was terrible. They won one more, like, way many more games than I expected them to win. And they fired the guy. So, I'm like, okay, so what's the expectations for Luffy? The playoffs? And that's the expectations. He's gone by week six because there'll be other playoffs probably by week eight. Like, they're not. There yet, like they don't have the quarterback, right? The running back isn't right. The wide receiver position isn't right. The tight end, like they have nobody like this team. The roster is not good. The old line, they have tonsil, they paid him the bag. Maybe a little more than he, maybe a little bit more than he, I'm comfortable with with his play. He's been good, but not all pro. But it's like you kind of you know, they have David Johnson. Will Fuller's not there anymore? It's just a tough, this is a tough job, man. The defense has a couple of players I like, but they even trade. I forget the pass rusher name that they traded that was having a, uh, was having a decent season. They don't have any players on the team. And the, then you still have the Deshaun Watson. Like, is he going to be in jail? Is he going to be suspended? Like, is he going to just play? Is he going to get traded? It's too many questions with this team. And I just love you, Smith. I am kind of upset at you for taking this job, to be honest. Because I feel like you're gonna, they're going to somehow use your case against other black coaches and that is the, that's like the calamity of this whole thing. Yeah, I don't blame Lovey for taking it. I think
0: Lovey's probably looking at it as, and Shannon brought it up on Undisputed. He's the only black coach to have three different coaching, high coaching opportunities in the NFL, which says yeah. a lot about the whole thing we're talking about. And I admire that Lovey, he's getting his staff together. It looks like it's full of predominantly black. It's a predominantly black staff. Um, His O.C. is going to be Pep Hamilton. Uh, he's got a guy, I think, from from Howard, possibly doing it. And the Howard guy might actually be Pep. So um, I think it's that's I'm going to say something. It's another top for another day. But I think that's a way for black coaches, in my opinion, to be uh, more predominant. I would say in the NFL is when a black coach does get put on, they hire predominantly black staff. That's what Tony Dungy did. Um. That's what Danny Green, Danny Green did with Minnesota. I mean, that's how like, so this narrative of man, not all black code I think black guys that do get put on, they got to put on the brother's. I mean, that's just facts now with Houston, to. with Houston. Um, it's it's a tough one. Davis Mills for most of the year looked trash. And then like the last month or and a half, he looked decent. And what I saw from Mills is he's probably a reincarnation of Matt Schaub, who ironically enough played for Houston. Uh, but what made Matt Schaub successful was he had Andre Johnson and Arian Foster. Uh, Houston does not have <laughs> Andre Johnson or yeah. Arian Foster. So they're yeah. going to have to figure that out. Um, look, I think the Deshaun White situation is inevitable. They're going to trade him. Um, they're going to trade him this offseason. Now, the question is, the problem is, you got to figure out how the legal situation is going to work out. Last time I checked, 29 of the 32 lawsuits he was willing to pay off but the other three were like we don't want to pay off right now i don't know if that means they want a higher payment or if they're like "Nah, bro, we want justice if they want justice they're probably going to win and he's going to jail and that means houston gets nothing for deshaun watson he basically his cap dies under the grave that he'll potentially be in not grave but jail cell whatever now with mills he showed potential like i stated he's probably match on reincarnated they're in a draft spot to where um, what do they take? I, um, Their defense is solid. I think at this point, you need offensive line help. Help somebody alongside side Tone. So I think they showed yeah. with Rex Burkhead, ironically enough, that they can run the football. So yeah. I think they're in a position where they can get a franchise back, get another offensive lineman, and maybe diversify that receiving court with maybe a steal in the third or fourth round. I think they're in a position where they can get uh solid players on offense. But it comes down to, man, like, do they want to get solid players on this team at all for Lovey to succeed? Um, and that was showing this draft. If I leave this draft like, bro, like Houston could have picked this guy and this guy, and they're getting cats that aren't high on people's draft boards. I'm like, yeah, they sabotaging lovey. And yeah. I think <laughs> all right, they're sabotaging them. Now, I think I think Houston, I think what Houston's gonna do is they're gonna surround Lovey with enough talent to be successful for a year. If it doesn't work out for a year. I think they might sabotage in year two. I don't think they sabotage in year one because it's set up for them not to sabotage in the year one. You can trade the Sean Watson to get picks. Um, you're picking in the top half of the draft, which means in the first and second round you can get high value guys. So I think Houston's going to have a competent team heading into the new year. It really comes down to what do you surround around? What do you surround around Davis Mills? Because I think Davis Mills has a ceiling. I think he showed late in the year he's an NFL caliber quarterback. But with a guy like that, he's not Herbert, he's not Mahomes, he's not Allen. So you have to surround a competent team around him for the squad to be successful. And that means probably getting a franchise back and some receiving help. But, you know, I hope Lovey Man is given a fair chance to make it work because he has shown throughout his career, when he has a competent team around him, he's not a bad coach. Them Chicago years prove that. But when you give him trash, I mean, he can only do so much. And, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen in Houston. Last but not least, we're going to talk about the NBA trade, that trade deadline. All right. Um, and the trade deadline had a lot of deals that went down from Sacramento pulling the plug on Halliburton, which shocked a lot of people through the Pacers, who, in my opinion, I thought the Pacers were winners, man. They, ironically enough, rebuilt their squad at the deadlines, where I think next season they could be potentially the Cavs, like, you know, making a run. But we're going to start off with the winners. And in my opinion, the winners, were the Clippers, the Kings, the Pistons, and the Bucs. I know you're probably surprised, like, why the Nets and the Sixers are on there. The Nets and the Sixers are in another class, not even in the loser class. They're in the, like, um, to-be-continued class. Um, how did you feel about the Kings? The Kings are, are probably the biggest ones. How do you feel about Sacramento giving up on Halliburton, um, choosing to build around Fox yeah. and Sabonis? They looked phenomenal against Minnesota offensively. A couple of nights ago, the offense moved a lot fluid with Sabonis there, But we all know Sabonis isn't a great defender, which means Sacramento's defense is going to be trash. Um, Do you feel like it can work long term or is this something that they're going to regret?
1: Uh, I was in a space on Twitter today actually talking about this. It's interesting because Sabonis is still young. He's 25 years old. Like you think he seems 30, but he's actually only 25. He has a lot of growth left. I just wouldn't have given up on Halliburton yet. And I personally think they chose the wrong guard to trade. I would have traded Fox. Why would I have traded Fox? Because not that it's not even that he's necessarily peaked yet, but you kind of know what type of player he is. And that's still like a borderline all star player. But I think Halliburton has a slightly higher ceiling. And he's just younger. He's a three point shooter. We have to value three point shooting just a little bit higher in today's NBA. I keep the 21 year old Halliburton over Fox. And I think Fox also needs a change of scenery. Now, I do, from a Sacramento perspective, let's just be, like, in the real world, not like 2K. People have to keep their job. You got to win some games. <laughs> like You got to have some fans. You're an hour and 30 away from the Bay, so the Warriors are right there. You're losing a lot of your fan base. You got to have a little bit of fun. Sabonis so and Fox and Harrison Barnes probably put you in the play-in. Probably. Do they win and become the 8th or 7th seed? I say no. That's probably going to be the Clippers and the Lakers. And then the Lakers have been terrible, but missing the playoffs, I don't think they're that bad. Now, they've been bad, but missing the playoffs, I don't think they'll go that far. So, they might have done all of this to still not make the playoffs. Versus the Pacers are probably re- they're rebuilding. They're probably the top five pick. If they get Chet Holmgren or the Duke kid, it's like Yo, now we got more talent. They got Duarte last year. He's Brogdon. I heard he's on the trade rumor for the summer. But regardless, you still have Brogdon for the time being. I think the Pacers are winners in that trade, personally.
0: Yeah, I think the Pacers are winners, too. Uh, Look, I'm a huge De'Aaron Fox fan, but you're right. I think Halliburton has a higher ceiling. So if I was in that position, I would have probably chose Halliburton as well. But I don't have a problem with Halliburton being traded. I do have a problem with who he was traded for. Sabonis is maxed out as a player. Um, He is a phenomenal passer like his, like his pops. He's got great touch around the rim. He's got post moves. He's even stretched his range a little bit from beyond the three, but he is a liability in the pick and roll defensively. He's a liability as a rim protector. That's just real. He can't defend for anything. Um, With Halliburton, solid shooter, underrated defender, Solid playmaker, like the sky was the limit with him. So, if you yeah. were gonna trade Halliburton, I remember that Philly was cool with taking Halliburton for Simmons and Tobias Harris. I would have done that deal. Um, if, if it was like Philly was like, look, we want Halliburton, some picks, maybe here some Barnes, we'll give you Ben Simmons and Hot Harris. Would have took it because as much as Simmons can't shoot, he can defend, he could play make. He's another guy that you could possibly post up and utilize as a post presence around the offensive area. That's what I would have did. But Sabonis looked great against Minnesota. He opened up the floor from a spacing perspective. The ball movement was seamless. Fox looked like a traditional point guard because they ran a lot of pick and roll concepts with the two. It looked great. Um, as for the plan, they have a shot to make it because right now that 10th spot is going to be the spot because I think seven through nine is sold Clippers, LA, Minnesota. Now, who do I think gets out of that? I think Minnesota is the best playing team out of all of them because when Minnesota is healthy, uh, Russell, Atwood's, Towns are tough. And they're starting to get solid bench presence from Nas Reed, McDaniels, and Malik Beasley. So they're the best out of the playing bunch. But I think the Kings do have a chance to make that 10th spot. Um, And even if they're not successful in terms of winning in the playing and making the playoffs – The play-in is a win for that franchise because the play-in still counts as a postseason berth, and they can build from there. But I I do feel like they made the wrong transaction trading Halliburton for Sabonis. Now for the Pacers, this is a win-win for them. They rebuilt on the fly, and they have the backcourt of the future in Halliburton and Duarte. I like Duarte a lot. He reminds me a lot of Devin Booker. Now He's a lot older than Devin Booker was his rookie year, but he can shoot. He can play off the ball. He's aggressive. He's assertive. Pairing him with Halliburton in the backcourt, that is nice in the East. They still want to hang on to Miles Turner. They need to give that up right now. I'd cut, cut the ties with Turner. Cut the ties with Brogdon. You could trade them and get even more assets. The way it's being structured, Indiana could be right back in the playoff mix next year. And it's crazy because Indiana is a franchise that notoriously hates being trash. They always want to be competitive in the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. And they have a chance to do that next year, which means their rebuild will only last for a season. They're in a great position. I thought they made a great transaction getting Halliburton and Jalen Smith from the Suns. Now, um, next up, the Utah Jazz and the Portland Trailblazers. They had a little transaction. Portland, they're blowing it up for Damian Lillard, which is weird. (laughs) They're blowing it up because they want Damian Lillard to get a new team to elevate him towards a championship trajectory. They have $60 million of cap space. Um, they got a bunch of young guys and they believe, I know what they're believing. What they're going to do is in the off season, they're going to try to swoon Bradley Beal to Portland. Why would Bradley Beal go there? Going to Portland is like basically going to the Western version of DC. Like, I don't, I don't know what the upgrade is there. Um, do you think the Blazers are being wise or are they just living in delusionalville to where, they really think that they can get the best out of Lillard, and they honestly can't.
1: This is the one that I don't know. I actually blame Dame for this. I have to. I have to blame him. I have to go in here and blame Dame. Like, he has to get a little bit of blame here. Like, why are you still here? I don't understand. No one – I don't respect him even more for this. I want him to know that, and his fan base – because his fan base is on board. This is Twitter people as well. No one is, like, respecting you more, Dame, for suffering. Like we maybe didn't respect Durant for just like going to like an LA. Like, but you, bro, you couldn't go to like Oakland. Like, there's like levels like you don't have to maybe go like to the A plus. Like, but you can go like at least a B dame. Like the Sixers would have been perfect. Like you could have forced away the Sixers. The Blazers would show you loyalty. Like, let's be real. They owe him that take a deal similar than what they just got. They would have made a deal similar to the deal they got for Harden. So it's like. Dame you I can't okay let me see this it's not that I'm a hater now I'm just I can't feel bad for you all the arguments they at one point it was like oh it was better curry or Dame which was a joke but it was you know same like Clyde and Jordan it's like y'all are suffering and then we it's gonna take y'all to leave like Clyde did for it to really work out so I and Dame's already 31 he's about to get them he's about to get the because they he's about to, to kill Portland's cap for their the rest of his time and the Bill one to I me mean, as a Wizards fan, I mean they could have Bill, but like I don't know what they have to offer. Like what are you giving picks? It's probably not good enough. You have no players anymore, so it's like what are they supposed to do? So I don't like the trade really. I mean even for 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 really either team, it like, it it was confusing. Poland's direction is confusing to me. Well with Bill, I don't. You're a Wizards fan, so you could tell me if I'm wrong.
0: Bill's a free agent this year, right? Unrestricted, correct? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, so they're probably thinking, look, we got enough cash space to go after Beal, and then once we get Beal, then I guess maybe we can utilize the trade, the pick assets we had to get a third guy. I don't know who that third guy would be personally. I'm trying to think of a guy that maybe is disgruntled that would be like, I'll go to Portland if Lillard and Beal are there. Yeah, I'm not even
1: sure. They're, they're really
0: betting the house on like what ifs. Right, extreme what ifs. I think Portland messed up when – They had a backcourt of the future and Simons and Gary Trent Jr., but they traded Gary Trent Jr. for Norman Powell because they were living in the, we're trying to win now in the West. That backfired because Powell wasn't a good fit and he couldn't stay healthy. So I think Portland, if they still had Trent Jr., would probably convince Lillard to be like, hey man, it's time. We're ready to rebuild. But they're in a tough spot where they can't rebuild because they don't have the assets to rebuild, whether it's prospects or draft picks so they're utilizing Lillard's delusion of I can still do this as a way to stave off the inevitable which is irrelevancy out there and you know Lillard I think what's going to happen is they're going to try to get somebody if they can't they're going to give all that money to Lillard for a supermax and I guess draft because they're not good so what will probably happen is there'll be a lottery team so I guess in the lottery hope they can get a potential all-star but even if that happens, it might take him three years to develop. So I don't know there. And then with the Pelicans, they got McCollum. And uh, I know also Portland, they traded with Utah. And they had Alexander Walker. He went to Utah and Gomez. With McCollum going to the Pelicans, I, I still think New Orleans needs to trade Zion. Um, and I think the way Brandon Ingram's been playing, I'd, I'd be cool with trading Zion. Like, I don't I don't understand. Like I I honestly thought the Pelicans could have traded Zion to Detroit. Got the number one pick. I, Zion's stock was still that high, where people would look at Zion as, oh, when he was healthy, he was that type of dude. So we'll take him. And you could have got Cade Cunningham. Imagine Cade Cunningham with Brandon Ingram. Now we're talking about something different. Ingram has showed this year that he can be a guy you can build around. So I think they need to pull the plug on Zion, ship him somewhere while his stock is high, where you can get assets to build a functional team around him. Instead, they they can form a big three with Lillard, McCollum, and Zion where McCollum would be the point guard. I've never seen McCollum play point guard in my life, so I don't know how that would work. I don't really know what they're doing in New Orleans there. Uh, your thoughts on McCollum fitting with the Pelicans long-term, do you think that
1: can be the wave? Uh, they're definitely building around Zion. The trade was clear. Like, it was like, okay, it was like this trade was like, oh, this is a clear Zion move. Like they we want him to stay. I think that's why, because McCollum and Zion fit really well. Like, I mean, Zion needs shooters. I personally, when he was playing healthy actually he was a top 20 player in the NBA. He was shooting over 70% of the rim. People don't understand like how like unrealistic that is, even, maybe to even replicate. Like it was elite rim, like, rim efficiency. Like he was amazing. But he's 285 pounds. He has to drop at least to probably what, 270, 260? Who knows when that can happen? If it's possible to happen, will he still be as good? These are all unanswered questions. He's the big what if type of player. It's like it's. I don't even know what his injury is right now. He's not like he didn't have an Achilles tear. He didn't have any like he had like a I think he had like a bone break, If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I it was a his,
0: foot. It was a foot injury. I think that was the latest. thing. Like he broke his foot or some stuff. Or yeah, yeah, but
1: that's not like he broke it over a year. Like I don't know. It's just it's 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 weird. He should have been back. He has he, he had another setback. It's scary because like you say, Brandon Ingram's been really good. He's still young. They let go of Lonzo. Lonzo's been pretty good, but Lonzo was injury prone, so I get it. He's still a Devontae Graham. McCullum, he's 30, but like he probably is. They needed a vet. Like they lost Drew Holiday. They have four picks from Drew Holiday's. So they didn't really, even though they got McCullum, they really didn't lose anything. He's still have a bullet of picks. They can still make some stuff happen. So if they did with Trey Zion, they could probably get a really good player. Like I would take Zion for Bill. I mean, I'm kind of over that scenario. So, I mean, in that way, I mean, I don't know what they I don't know. Zion's stock is still like he hasn't even played. I still feel like his stock is, is high. Cause, like, you know, the NBA is about money too. He's box office. Like, CDS says all the time. Like, he's going to bring fans to the stadium, which they historically don't do well in New Orleans. They probably won't trade him because even if he doesn't play all the games, he is just box office. You will get season ticket holders just because Zion's on your team. That's probably why they'll keep him. Yeah.
0: They're going to keep him because of, like you said, box office. And he's somewhat of a consolation prize for losing ad to the lakers even though he wasn't a part of the ad trade like they already had the number one pick because of the lottery um i just feel like you can trade you know more than anybody else in the league zion's health status moving forward you know deep down he's not going to get any better he's probably not going to lose any more weight if he does, his lower body is so compromised from the wear and tear that he had in Duke in his early part of his rookie year, he won't ever be the same. But guess what? The media is helping you by propping him up as "Wait until Zion come back; you're gonna show everybody." You can use that to ship him somewhere and get more competent pieces to build a complete team. I agree with you though. I think they just got McCollum to because they still think Zion can come back and be what he was in college. And I don't think he can. He's not a great defender. Um, He can't shoot particularly well. You would think at his size and the way he plays, he would be Charles Barkley on the glass. He's not even that. And it's like his his statistical output is empty. It's like empty points. That that used to be Devin Booker's problem until he got a point guard and they built a competent team. And now Devin Booker's points mean something now. Um, So I think New Orleans is just living in the Zion past. And they should have accepted as soon as his people came out and was like, we don't want to be here. Look at that as, all right, well, we're going to trade you when your stock is high. And I think the the move to do it was last year. Detroit had the number one pick. And I think Detroit at the time still thought Killian Hayes was going to be their point guard. I mean, now they know now he's not. But I think Detroit at the time was like, bro, we'll trade it if you give us somebody. And I remember OKC said, we'll give you SGA for the number one pick. And Detroit said, no, I don't. But they considered it, though. They would have not said no if you were like, we'll give you Zion. They would not They would have not done that because of what Zion means to the league from an image perspective. So I think New Orleans is just living in the past on that one. Cleveland got Karis Levert. All right, they traded Ricky Rubio. That's crazy, right? A couple of Cavs got traded and they hurt for the year. I'm like, you could trade injured dudes? You can't do that in 2K. But um, Cavs got Karis Levert. And Cleveland looks legit, man. They're, They're a really legit team. Levert gives them a gives them a wing score that they kind of don't have on their squad. They have great guard play. Garland solid, they got a vet and Rondo, Brandon Goodwin who they got from the G League is playing well. Phenomenal front court. Jerry Allen and Evan Mobley fit perfectly. Their wings though, Chetty Osman and Okoro are hit or miss. You know, Okoro can't shoot particularly well but he can slash. Osman can shoot pretty well but he can't slash great because he doesn't give anything off the dribble. Does Levert make Cleveland a legit dark horse
1: in the East, in your eyes? Uh, the East, I think, has three contenders that win a championship. And that is Philly, the Nets, and the Bucks, And maybe Miami, they like sneak in there. But realistically, I don't think they have enough to beat those other three. Now, can okay, Cleveland be a fun team and maybe win a first-round matchup like the Hawks last year? Yes. I like what Garland's doing. Jared Allen is dang near an all-star. Like he's, I think he's the next one if someone gets hurt to get in there. Um, Evan Mobley, I mean, I've been just wiping back the was to just tank it out because, yo, you can get this guy in year one. He's this good offensively and defensively. Uh, Lavert, I think, I actually a really good piece. They need, they need another score. He's not, like, the most elite passer in the world, but he's actually – people are sneakily missing out. His playmaking has been decent. Just like since, since the Nets, it's been decent. Like he's a good rim, he's good rim pressure. So he's a good, you know, driving kick type player. They kind of need, it, and he's like a six, another six, seven or above player. Like good God, if they run zone, like how do you pass on the gas Garland is like so protected. He's like six two, but like no one cares because he has, he's playing with a six eleven Mobley, seven feet um, Allen, six seven Levert, uh, Oakrow was six six. Like they're all like guys that can that are good defenders. So it's. I think. They, I think they can be fun. I would love to see them play like like a Boston or a team like that to see what they can do against a team that's been there and see if they can. That'd be a fun matchup. Hey man, you're a lot higher on uh,
0: the Nets and the Sixers than I am, and I'm going to get to that. Cleveland, <laughs> I think, is man, they're a legit dark horse because I feel like in the East, there's about like six teams that can win, that can, in my opinion, that can come out the Eastern Conference because. I don't know about the injury situation with the Sixers and the Nets. A lot of their stuff just comes down to um, will Kyrie ever get vaxxed? Can Durant stay alive? And then with the Sixers, Harden and Embiid have shown they're talented, but they get hurt now. So those are questions there. Cleveland, I think, constructed a competent team that a lot of people underestimated until now. And I think LaVert was kind of that missing piece for them in terms of a wing score that they can rely on because they play a lot through their guards and their bigs. Mowgli can pass really well. Garland talked about this on the Draymond Green podcast. Allen has improved his touch around the, the basket and his great lob threat. Kevin Love has come off the bench and has been a solid six-man for them. And then when Garland's out, Rondo can come in and give you solid minutes. Brandon Goodwin can come in and give you solid. This is a this is a team. They remind me a lot of like uh, what Atlanta was last year, but it's more complete because Evan Mowgli is an all-NBA talent that fits perfectly alongside another seven-footer in Allen. And I think that was the big question. Like, all right, they got this big. Can they fit? And they fit perfectly. So that goes really well for them. And I think them, Toronto, who got that young in the trade with the Spurs, they're two dark horses because they're playing their best basketball right now. And what they bring to the table, in my opinion, is they defend, they find ways to score in the half court, and they're resilient. And they've survived the season without a ton of big injuries. Like Cleveland had the Rubio situation and Garland, but that's about it. Um, and the Mowgli situation as well. But it, they didn't, I mean Rubio's out for the year, but Garland and Mowgli were able to come back. Yeah. Sex Tor- out for, out for yes. the year as well. But I, I thought with Sexton, when I was like, they're gonna be a better team without Sexton. Sexton's a ball stopper, not a true point. And while he's improved individually as a player, he's not a good fit on that team. And I've been standing corrected. Um, with Toronto, Siakam was out. And then Siakam came back and he's played pretty well. So I think Cleveland and Toronto are teams, in my opinion, that can make true noise. And I don't think Cleveland is a good matchup for anybody in the East because their bigs can stay on the floor because they play well on both ends of the floor. And so Milwaukee's issue is they're not as big. Uh, Brooklyn's issue is they're not as big. And Philly's issue is they're big, but can Embiid stay on the floor? Like, you know, that's, that's really an issue there. So I, I got, I got fade in to make noise on that end. Um, Philly, Brooklyn, let's get to them before we get to two other teams that we wrap it up. Philly, Brooklyn. Um, for me personally, it's a what if. Like, you look at the trade and in a idealistic world where we don't live in COVID-19 realm and Harden and B never fell off and, um, you know, Durant never was injury-prone in the last – like, you would think, okay, yeah, you know, Ben Simmons played – you would think, all right, good move for both teams. We'll see you guys in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I can't do that. I have no faith in Brooklyn anymore. Uh, it's sad that when Harden, yeah, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant were playing together, they were unstoppable. The problem was they were very stoppable when it came to being on the floor together. Like They couldn't stay healthy. Um, Philadelphia and Beats playing phenomenal, but we all know – he is injury prone, and it's only a matter of time before he's compromised moving forward. So they made the trade. I'll say Brooklyn won it because they got Ben Simmons, a defender, another ball. I know they're allow Kyrie to play off the ball, but he can't shoot, though, and he's going through a middle crisis. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Curry's great. He's another shooter. So if Harris comes back, you got Harris, Curry, and Patty Mills. They can fill it up, and then Curry and Mills can both handle the ball. And then Andre Drummond is that secondary big that you can bring out there with the second unit to bang around get rebounds. So it's solid, but Kyrie don't want to get vaxxed. Ben Simmons, when he comes back, he he hasn't played, like, all year. So when he comes back, it's going to take him two months to get in a shape. Can he shoot? And then with Philly, they were able to keep Matisse-Thibault. You got Harden, but the fact of the matter is Harden is not the same. He's not the same player. He's gotten fatter, which compromises lower extremities um with the rules changed he doesn't get to the back doesn't get those fouls that he normally does while him and Embiid are a great fit um in pick and roll situations hard an excellent passer they both dominate the ball so that's another situation you gotta wonder about as well um if all goes well who wins long term and if nothing goes well who do you think can find a way to survive to at least when we look back at this three years later We're like, all right, um, that trade was a fail, but I think this team won more because of what?
1: Yeah, originally I called it a win-win because both teams kind of wanted what they got, but now twenty-four hours and you know looking at it, really deep diving, the Nets kind of took an L here. Like they won because, like, I mean, it wasn't like a bad trade, but overall, we all know the Nets don't have a first-round pick for seven years, like literally seven years. Like it's four pick swaps and it was four firsts. It's like. They don't. I mean, they have a pick, but it won't be the better of the picks for a while. So it's like, even if this goes a l- like a little bit sideways, they can't tank to get more players. Like it just can't happen. So they have to pray Durant stays there, which is that reliable? Is it, we rely on Kyrie again? And this is a team that I've covered, but like they have a lot of. and Then like the Steve Nash thing. I'm not sure he's a good coach yet. Like he hasn't proven anything, so we don't know if he can coach so I'm the okay now with Ben Simmons I think he can have maybe a slight resurgence here he still can't shoot their offense is going to be weird because Kyrie can't play all the games and we just this is not talk about Durant for the time being we just Ben and Kyrie At Brooklyn's what is it home games who's the shot creator on the team like Kyrie's their only shot creator like I mean I like Curry but he's not his brother he's just not like he can't just run the offense like that's just not his game. He's more like a clay versus his own brother in that way. Then like it's just gonna be hard because Ben Simmons is we all know is terrible in the half court. Like he's a fast he's a fast break player and he's a good passer, but like overall his half court O is F. So it's just like we'll we'll see what they can do. Now they will spread the court for him, then he can be successful getting the balls to their shooters. But like, it's still kind of suspect and against a, against a world almost like Milwaukee that just stole Serge Ibaka. That he's an elite player or anything but he's a body that can shoot and defend decently. That's all they need. And they're still in a workload, but they're still body porters. I think it's going to be hard to beat a Milwaukee. Now going to Philadelphia, Harden's a little old. Like you said, he hasn't been like 2016, 2017 Harden. But I think he's still a top-ten player. Like, you still got the best player in the trade. Even at, like, a down year, he's been, like, efficient this year. I think it will be better. I think it will actually be, like, pretty good with beaten. They are ball dominant, and that's going to be interesting because Embiid's the MVP right now with a joker but the joker's record isn't what you know you know how that goes so it's going to be Embiid is to me if the season ends today he's the mvp of the league he leads the league in scoring he scored 29 in 19 as we do this podcast so like he's having a tremendous season i think it will work because doc rivers has had talented teams before now he's Doc the best coach ever no but he's had talent before he usually uses it now we all know the paul george situation but clearly paul george has problems with a lot of people so i'm just gonna to have to throw it out with Boston, he kind of used the talent with the Clippers. He used it until, like, you know, Chris Paul went down, Blake went down, DeAndre Jordan went down. It'd be interesting to see the, the offense that they run. He's never had a James Harden type of player before. A player that can get you 30, but it's also the best, like, a top playmaker in the whole NBA. He's, a, he's literally a one-man band, Like, but now he has the MVP beside him. With Danny Green, because I think Fab actually comes off. I think the, I think the, the lineup is going to be Harden, Maxi, Danny Green, Tobias – and then mb and then thaw was gonna play like 28 minutes i mean you know, he's gonna play so it's gonna be interesting to see the sixers i think the sixers and the bucks if i had to go today are the eastern conference finals teams what do you think about that
0: i think that's a valid take. And <laughs> yo like i forgot tobias is still on this team so him as a third yeah, option is, is is solid for them i think with you know with doc doc's problem has been he's at his best when his teams are mentally tough because doc is a little bit demanding. He's sympathetic and he'll always make sure that you have a chance to succeed. Now I know Chris Paul, uh, Blake Griffin wrote, well, no, nah, I'm not gonna say Blake, Chris Paul, Paul George, Kawhi to a degree, which is weird. Uh, and Ben Simmons, they didn't like doc because they felt like Doc didn't ride with them from thick and thin. But I understand Doc's frustration because I think Doc is kind of like, it's like a teacher who pulls a student to the side that's struggling or has immense talent, but he's struggling in a class. And he's like, look, man, here's what you need to do. This, this, and this. And then he consoles you like, I believe in you. We're going to get this done. But then as the semester goes on and he realizes that that kid with immense talent doesn't live up to the great hype and he continues to underachieve, he gets a little bit flustered a little bit frustrated, and eventually throws his hands up, and he's like, I, I did all I could do. And so that happened with Philly last year with Ben Simmons. He was in Ben Simmons' corner. He consoled him. He made him believe, look, Ben, you can be, you can be, you can be. And then Ben continued to shy, 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 shy away from the moment. And then in game seven, when they lost, he's like, I can't do this. Like, Ben, ben cost us. And then Ben was in his fields, and I, I, Ben's like, bro, you was in my corner all this time, and now you gave up on me? How could you? But then Doc's like, bro, like I was, and you let me down. And so he's in a tough spot now when James Harden, talented as can be. James Harden is like the ideal combo guard. He's like when people bring up combo guard, James Harden is in the dictionary. Like he is the ideal combo guard. He could drop 30 and get 15 assists easy. It's effortless for him. Um, James Harden's problem has been now, now it's injuries, but for the most part, it's been being clutch in a postseason like hitting that wall where it's like, all right, it's put up or shut up time and he just can't close the deal. And so what if that happens in the series, you're down 2 one and Harden for two games is when MIA, cause he's done it before. Did yeah. it with OKC in the finals. He did it with Houston, did it last year against, with Brooklyn. Um, I know what, I know what um, Doc's going to do. He's going to pull Harden to the side and be like, look Harden, we believe in you. You can do this bump the haters, but what if he does? What if that's not enough and he can't turn the corner Doc is shown when that happens. He throws his hands up. He's like, all right, I tried." Like, he can do it. Is James going to bolt again? Because he's already bolted from two spots where he felt like Cass wasn't in his corner. Now nah, he's so, here. He's stuck here. He's stuck. This, this right, is, he's He will he's retire, stuck. I think, at 76. Yeah, he is stuck here, and I think he probably realized that this, but I give Harden credit for this. He's committed to winning a championship. I saw how he looked when they lost to the Bucs in the semifinals. He looked angry because I think he understood, look, KD got two. I got one I don't got anything and I'm a great player I want to win the issue is his body type isn't catching up with his mentality mentally he's committed but his body's not he that that fat suit stuff in Houston backfired like it's it's paying for it he's paying for it with his lower extremities he, he's trying to play his way into shape and you can't do that at that age so regardless of what happens this year he needs to get himself in shape next year to get the best out of him but I think that's the huge thing with Philly there like Harden's a great talent, but Doc has shown throughout his career he's great with mentally tough teams. With teams that aren't mentally tough, he tries to convince them with love but criticism, you can do this. And then when they still fold, he throws his hands up in the air and he's like, I can't do it. And that's how that's why guys don't like him because it's like, yo, you say you're my corner, and then when I struggle and don't pan out, you you flip on me. But I understand because it's like, yo, I'm your coach. But my job status is dependent on you producing. I can help you produce by convincing you, you the man. But if you don't want to be the man, then what else can I do? On the Brooklyn side, uh, it's simple. Kyrie expressed that he is frustrated he can't play. That's good. So the next step needs to be take the vaccine. I don't know what you're waiting on. I know it's (laughs) not going to happen. But if you're truly that frustrated, take the vaccine. What you're waiting on, the mayor of new york what a governor of new york to be like not the governor the mayor of new york city to be like you know what mandate off you know what i'm saying like like, just like good luck with that but if you generally resent at your job because he already commented my job for like a nine to five if you resent that you can't control how you play basketball because you're in and out the lineup because of a vax mandate you resent the fact that your pursuit of a championship this year is slipping away You resent the fact that KD is continuously to look at you like, bro, where you at? Then you need to make the ultimate sacrifice and get vaccinated. Because, look, all them cats on social media, they can tell you whatever about you taking this stand. You're at a job where, you know, deep down you can't be the best that you can be because you're not out there playing consistently because of a mandate that you choose not to abide to. That's that simple. And then with Ben Simmons, bro, like you got to be able to shoot the basketball um the mental situation is legit is it not I think it's like 50 50 I think Rich Paul put in his brain if you sit out you can get to where you want to and it somewhat worked but at what cost and I think the other aspect is he was he didn't want to face that Philly fan wrath that's over with now you in Brooklyn you got a fresh new start Ben Simmons bro like he can be a, a a greater version of Draymond Green if he just chose to shoot the jumper and then utilize all his other tools to be productive in the half court. If he did, he'd live up to his potential, probably not live up to his potential, but he'd be a lot better than what he is now. And this team could work. But if not, I don't know, but that that's why I'm not really sold on Brooklyn and Philly because of the injury situations, the uncertainty, I'd have a lot more faith in teams that are structured and they've been playing well this year and they got it down to a science uh, losers. And then we're going to wrap this up. Let's talk about the Knicks and the Celtics. Uh, Boston is on a win streak, and they've done a pretty good job of beating up on weaker teams. Uh, they traded Dennis Schroeder to Houston. They got Daniel Tice back. They traded Josh Richardson to the Spurs. They got Derek White back. It was a point in the year when they lost to the Knicks. That was like their low point where Boston fans was like, all right, man, we can Jalen and Tatum work together. Uh, they're having a successful moment. The way the East is structured, if they continue playing this way, well, they can make a little run up the standings potentially but long term can this team make it back to the conference finals because remember like early in their process they were an yeah. eastern conference final participant uh two of the last three years it's been ancient times since that has happened can they get back to that mountaintop
1: uh, i mean my coach Malcolm is a boston fan i've told him he one of his predictions was that boston would make these conference finals i told him he was crazy now I still kind of think it's crazy. I think they are like I think they're the fifth or sixth, depends on we were in Cleveland, best team in these. Like it's gonna be hard to get out the second round. If they get the a bad first round matchup, they could be out there. Like like we can all say what we think about Brooklyn. I don't think they lose to Boston. I just don't. So it's just like they're gonna to have to like escaped the standings where they're playing like Cleveland and maybe Miami, which I think are, they can still lose both those series, but like that's their best chance to get back. They have to kind of duck and dodge standings. They do. I feel like their best matchup may be Chicago because Chicago's
0: young and they have yeah, just as many deficiencies. I know as great as the Rosen is playing all NBA first teamer type performance this season and Levine, uh, and I would assume it looks a lot more of a natural fit at the point guard spot than ball. Uh, they have a bench deficiency. They have one big the same issues Boston has, Chicago has recently. Now Boston's yeah. issues have been all year, but there's that as well. Um, for me, for me, it's the point guard situation. I don't think Darren writes a point, and so as long as they don't have a true point on their team, that means Brown and Tatum have to create offense for you a hundred percent of the time when they are a floor. And they have moments where they do it well. And then they have moments where it's like your turn, my turn. And your turn, my turn has never worked in basketball, with the exception of Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant Oklahoma City. It got them to like two conference finals and at the precipice of an NBA final. I don't really think they played your turn, my turn, when Harden was there. I think Harden was really the point. He opened it up for Westbrook and KD. But it worked with them because Westbrook was a freak of an athlete. And KD's top 10 all time. Uh, I like Tatum, but uh, Tatum, not all timer and Brown. I like his athleticism. He ain't Westbrook with the athleticism. So I think you need a floor general that can open it up for those guys. And as long as you don't have that, then you're going to always be limited. But I think the most disappointing part is defensively. They have defensive players, Robert Williams, Brown, Tatum has intangibles, and they're not consistent at that end. And their coach, who is a defensive mind from San Antonio, he's preaching that and they've played that a lot better recently. But what happens when they go against a comp? It's a different story. Um, you say you trust Brooklyn. I would, too, if they're healthy. If they're healthy, they could beat Boston. If they're not, they not beat nobody. But Boston, I don't see a favorable matchup for them. And right now they're in the play-in, which means, all right, let's say they get out the play-in. You're going to have to play, what, Miami in the first round, maybe? Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. That's a recipe for a sweep. So that's my situation with them there. And then last but not least, the Knicks. So the Knicks traded with the Hawks. ironic two teams that played against each other last year. They got Cam Reddish, who Thibodeau said he didn't want. Uh, They didn't get rid of Julius Randle, who seems tapped out as a player. They didn't get rid of Kimba Walker, who seems washed. Evan Fournier is being Evan Fournier. Um, At the early part of the season and offseason, when they made these moves and they got Fournier and Kimba, I'm not going to lie. I was like, okay. So they added offense to a team that went to the playoffs last year, built behind defense and Randle being their primary offensive weapon whoever achieved now this year they're at their best when they play their young guys and when randall is more of a facilitator than a primary score they didn't make any type of moves to try to clear the way so i think it looks like new york's gonna be all in on being an, a playing team they beat the warriors last night and i feel like a lot of that had to do with uh you know randall being a lot more efficient and clay missing an easy shot they could have stick in overtime it goes overtime different story uh knicks they are looking like they're not gonna be in the playoffs and what should they do moving forward this year we're moving forward beyond this year in the off season should they blow it up and embrace the young guys or be like you know what if it doesn't work out this year we're gonna re-tinker with the vets whatnot do you feel
1: like they should have done more at the trade deadline what's their state in your eyes uh, this is this is they're kind of they're one of those mediocre teams like you're kind of here like you gotta just be mediocre like there's no escape route now the rumor is that Thibodeau wants to trade a lot of the vets in the offseason or just not re-sign them or cut them like okay but like there's this is a terrible free agency this year like who do you sign it would go off like Brunson I like Brunson but like once again he's even more so like he's good but like he's there's a lot of good point guards. He's mediocre in that list of just point guards. Like there's a lot of guys that that is the most elite position in the NBA. Basically, he's not a top 10 in that position. So you're adding another player like Julius Randle that's not gonna be in an all-star elite player. Like Randall's like borderline all-star. We talked about Sabonis. We have to argue guess like, he better than Sabonis, like he's around that level. You can maybe make an argument. He's had like a better season than Sabonis has ever had but like. It's almost his body of work. It's better than his, clearly. So it's like, you don't, it's, they're, they in this situation. And their RJ Barrett is okay at best. Cam Reddish, I'm not so, I, I did, I do like Cam, but it's, he just hasn't produced. Again, what have you done for me? RJ Barrett is not efficient. I'm not a fan. Like, I think he's a decent, good player, but again, mediocre. They have no player I see ever reaching top 20 on the current roster, at least, which is scary. Because like, it's like I, I'm stuck. Well, this is a weird situation too where I don't know if we're going to ever have a place at least that's pushing top 15, top 20. Like we have Bill that's like right in the top 20 mark, but like is he ever going to push top 15? I say no. So like you're stuck at mediocre and that's the worst place to be. How you rather at least be knowing you're going to get uh, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Cade versus like I have to get, like I like Duarte, but like he's never going to be all NBA. He maybe could be an all-star, or like borderline all-star, but you know he's never going to be an All-NBA player, that sucks as a fan. So the Knicks, the fan base has been through so much. Uh, they don't deserve this. They really don't. But sadly, it's going to be like another Carmelo acting situation probably. You started good, and it's going to just get worse every year. Yeah, this Knicks team looks a lot like
0: past Knicks teams where they might have a couple of solid players, and then after that, it's a bunch of young guys that show promise, but we don't know what they are long-term. Now, I will say this about New York. The cover isn't completely bare, and the ceiling isn't completely, like, disappointing because I think they have a lot of young prospects that can play. R.J. Barrett has improved this year to the point He's where a- I think he could be a solid starter. Um, Ob Toppin, who I was not high on when he got drafted in the lottery, has shown this year when given minutes that he could be a lob threat, a guy that could space the floor, he can protect the rim, so he could be like your um, – kind of like a Randall what Randall kind of was, but maybe a more athletic Randall. Um, Emmanuel Quigley is talented. Quentin Grimes has potential. I like Deuce McBride. Like they have a lot of young cats that can play. So I'm surprised Tibbs is willing to offload the vets and embrace the youngins because Tibbs' problem has been that he hates young guys and he wants to have veterans. But I'm glad that he's adjusted as a coach from his time of, you know, not being employed. Um, And he realizes, look, I got these young guys that can play. I want to invest in them. Now, I think the best thing the Knicks can do is they're not bad enough to be a lottery team that has a chance to get the top pick. So I think what they should just do, honestly, try to play to be in the play in and use the play, use the pursuit of the play in to enhance the stock of a Evan Fournier and a Julius Randle. Those are the two guys that you can honestly trade for and get something back. I don't think you can get anything back for Kimball Walker. I don't think you can get anything back for a Nerlens Noel or a Mitchell Robinson, who I like but just can't stay. I don't think you get anything back for them. And the young guys that you have, I think they want to retain those guys. So use this opportunity to improve their stock. And if Fournier and Randall are gonna in the second half of the season playing like they did last night, you have a shot to get something valuable for them in the off season. But I really thought New York <clears throat> could implement a blend of scores. I I think what hurt them was they didn't play the young guys enough. I think. When their vets hit walls, they eventually put the young guys in later on in the game. When the game was out of reach, young guys would kind of make the score respectable, and then they would lose. I think having a more functional balance between young and old guys, like I see in Golden State, like I see in Toronto, that'll help make your team a lot better than what it is. They didn't do that, and now they're paying the price here. With that, man, that's the end of episode 42. This is a long one, almost three hours, but it's an interesting listen. It's an interesting listen with me and my guy, Ron. Ron, before you go, um talk about what you liked about the pod, what you're looking forward to this weekend in terms of football landscape. We got one last game, the Super Bowl and basketball. And you can even bring up the all-star break because that is approaching the week
1: after the Super Bowl, the weekend after. So takes there. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, glad to be on. Uh, we have we have been doing a lot of similar topics on M and R show. Ours is like more segmenty because we do like a lot of YouTube you know, it's a that weird algorithm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to the Super Bowl. I mean, again, I have the Rams winning the game. I have bet on the minus four. I have a dog in the fight. So, <laughs> I it's sad because I actually kind of want Burrow to win just because I like him better than – I'm not a Stafford fan at all. Not that he's not, not like a good player, but I just like Burrow. And it's just like – but I, I just think the Rams can't lose this. So, I, I, I want to see – I just want to see how the game plays out. Because if Burrow wins, he's had one of the best QB seasons since, I guess Mahomes, and then you know, but those like outlier QB seasons, and if McVay loses again, it's like okay, where do you go after losing two Super Bowls? Like we keep you, like I guess we have to, but you've lost two Super Bowls. No one's ever recovered from that, so it'd be interesting. Indeed, on the Super Bowl, I look at it as Cincinnati; they're in the
0: the best spot that it can be. But I think for the Rams, it's the Rams have the best chance um i think the hype bro has gotten um winning it would be the icing on the cake on icing on the cake of the hype train that has been you know chugging down the tracks for about two weeks now um but a rams would kind of culminate everything that they did They would be like the first nfl team ever to like openly create a super team and win a super bowl i mean last time i thought about that happening was remember when philly had vince young michael vick awesome while those guys it didn't work but that's the last time I have ever thought like guys, openly oh, trying to make a super team, um, uh, Tampa. You could say Tampa, they did it last year. I guess kind of, but yeah, in a way, uh, kind of. I mean, they did. But so the Rams would be like second, uh. So there's that there. I'm, I'm really interested in All Star Weekend. I know that's going to be good in the NBA. Uh, Slam Dunk Competition. Those those challenges of the rising stars and then the All Star. I know that's going to be great. And once the football season is over, I'm gonna lock in on the draft, but really focusing on. The NBA playoff push. That's going to be a big one indeed. Um, It's the end of episode 42. um, It's your host, Bamani. Oh, my God, Ron. Hey, check out the MNR show. It's on Apple and Spotify. They produce great content over there. Give it a solid listen. Give this a solid listen. It's a long one, but it's a good one. And I'll be back. I'm going to holla at y'all. Peace.